Oi, you lot. It's Alex in an English accent. Governor. <laughs> Hi, it's Alex. And I am the host of the Alex Cast, and I'm introducing this episode. Hi, Sarah. I am telling you that I want you to go to facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. That is where you will find all the information about the lovely bar in Portland, Oregon called The Standard, which is why it says The Standard PDX, PDX being a code for Portland, Oregon, as referenced. You can find it in real life at 14 Northeast 22nd in Portland, Oregon, in Northeast, as it's what the Northeast and Northeast 22nd means. The 14 is the street address designate, meaning that it's across the street from the even-numbered houses and businesses. Good. If you go there on a Sunday night, you can get $2 microbrews. That is a pint of brew that are micro, made in small batches and delicious for $2. Wednesday night is dollar hams. Monday night, I think, is really big can beers, but I'm not sure because they're changing off soon. But the Sunday night thing, guaranteed, it's wonderful. That is where I am on Sundays, and I usually do some editing or read strange arcane books, and it's wonderful. Good times. Uh, yes, that is the standard. Facebook.com slash the standard PDX. Please, for the love of crap, go there, click like, tell them Alex sent you. Don't say Alex sent you, though, because that's really kind of hokey and used car salesman from Minnesota. Fun. Everything else, please go to alexcast.com. You'll find everything there. I've written two books. If you click the books tab, you can find them. If you click the writing tab, you will find the first, like, I don't know, probably the first sixth of Periphery available for download in PDF for absolutely free. So if you're curious about the book and haven't felt like shelling out, go there. Go to alexcast.com, click the writing tab, and you will see. It says, hey, I'm giving away the first bit of Periphery. So, yeah, it's you have no excuse now. Go, listen. Don't listen, because you can't listen to it. It's not an audiobook yet. But you can read it, and that's fun. Also, while you're there, you can click the Amazon link. If you do that before you shop on Amazon, I get a small percentage of your purchase, and you don't have to pay any kind of extra money. It helps the show, and you don't have to do any extra work. There's a donation link. There is a free audiobook link. Click that. You get a free audiobook. Pretty goddamn, you know, self-explanatory. And... Yeah, that's pretty much it. You can find me on Twitter at the AlexCast. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash AlexCast. And yeah, that's all that kind of good stuff. So uh, without further ado, please uh, let me welcome you to episode 154 featuring Eden Penketh from the Old Enough to Know Better podcast. Search for that on Stitcher, iTunes, everywhere that lovely podcasts are found. Or you can find him on the old Twitter at Monkey Magic Eden. How fun. Please enjoy the episode. guys, it is me, Alex, and by that sound, you know that I am doing another Alex cast. Tonight, I have on the Skype on my phone, he has returned guest to the show after, I don't know, a year maybe, but uh, our, our British friend, Mr. Eden Penketh. Hello, sir. Hello, Alex. It's good to be back. Yes, welcome 
to the Alex cast. Fun times. So we were talking about random things over the internet. And I said that I was going to promise that this isn't going to be another episode of, hey, America's like this and hey, England's like that. But mm. I have a couple things I just really need to ask you because it threw me off. How do you... Okay, I'm, I'm happy to clear these kinds of things up. It's all good. I swear, these aren't the annoying ones where I ask you about the Battle of Hastings or something. Um, <laughs> how do you pronounce the shoe that's spelled A-D-I-A-S? A-D-I... Sorry, or, say again? Or, uh, hey, wait... A D I uh, D uh, D. Well, we say Adidas. How do you say that word? Adidas. Yeah. Oh, you Adidas. do. Yeah. Exactly just I, for, I forgot. Well, I... You, you might you might get a few people that, that say Adidas instead. That, that's it. I heard a an Australian podcast, and I thought, well, their accent, at least in American, sounds kind of Englishy. M- maybe that's a what is Adidas? I've never heard that before. I couldn't explain it really. I think it might, in this country at least, there's a, the north-south divide with accents and everything. So it might be a case that some people in parts, some parts of the country say Adidas and other people say Adidas. I'm trying to think because, I mean, it's not a brand or anything that I've ever really bought or worn. So I've not really used the word that often myself. Yeah. That's I, a good question, Alex, and I can't answer it properly for you. Well, no, you, that, was, that was perfectly okay because it's one of those things where I'm, I think it's a German company. And it the, is, yeah. It was um, a pair of brothers, if I remember correctly. One went off and made Kuma, and the other one made Adidas. Oh, you're absolutely right. Now I think about because I think one guy's name is Addy, and the other one's name is like Astrolabe or something, and they combine their names to be Adidas, or at least the way I say it. Um, a little bit catchier going for Puma than the other name, probably. Yeah, Puma's a little, yeah, much much easier to kind of natively pronounce. I just it threw me because I I literally couldn't think of staring at the. I was looking at the word trying to figure out. Ad did like my brain didn't even want to pronounce it another way, but since it's German, I was like, "Oh my god, is that the way it's actually supposed to be said?" And it's just one of those American things where we're just mangling yet another word because I, I usually like to at least know the ones I'm fucking up. Hmm. No, I will have to try and find a German, I suppose. Who is it? Uh, Constantine Rain on Twitter. I think he's German. Oh, yeah, that's true. him up and see what he says about that. Oh yeah, Pat's German too. I actually didn't think about the whole German thing because it was a Englishy or British colony accent that said it. I probably yeah. could have traced it back through Germany. Well, yeah, so what's the solution in the end? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like a giant topic. It just it was something that really threw me. And uh, a follow up for my thing for you recently. So turns out tramp in the United States was a term for hobo or. Uh, what we call bum. Um, and, and I sort of knew that, but it fell out of fashion. But like in the thirties, forties, like quite a while back, that was like the word. So I don't, cause it occurred, it occurred to me that Chaplin's character is, is like, it's called like the dirty tramp or the little tramp or something. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the little hobo or maybe I'm just getting confused with another person perhaps. Uh, well, it was probably, I, I would expect that like in terms of usage, they would have changed it when, um, what's the song? The Lady is a Tramp. That that song would have probably had a big hand in having the term changed in the vernacular, I thought. See, that's, this is, this is what threw me because I was thinking about that. And I was like, all right, so Chaplin, at least is my understanding. A little hobo is Duncan Trussell's puppet. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of. Oh, that's what I'm. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that's a nice mix-up. Well, that's I'm way too on the Death Squad thing these days. I, it's also one of the few times that that mix-up could ever be solved this quickly. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh, the, the two brains in, on this podcast, but yeah, because I was thinking of that being Tramp was, 
And then I was thinking of a tramp steamer was the term for a, a steamboat that like moved around and wandered about. So I was like, yeah, tramp does mean like a, a vagabond, a guy who wanders around. Like, is that what that fucking Sinatra song means? Like, have I been like, have I been wrong about that this whole time that that song's actually like she's a she's she's one who's listless, not she's one who's sucking dick behind the bar. (laughs) Well, it might be a little bit of both. She goes from place to place playing a trade, perhaps. Maybe that's what he's getting. I guess. Now I don't know. Like, is he being kind of subtle? Like, because at that point, the word was starting to change usage so hmm. i uh, it was just one of those things but i i found it incredibly fun and i was thinking about the entomology of it but now tramp like the the uh, i don't know what you call them in britain but the lower back tattoos on a lady tramp stamps oh, oh yeah they're, they're still tramp stamps oh, okay <laughs> all right there we go yeah yeah that one's universal i think yeah just because the type of women that have them tend to fall into a certain type of behavior i suppose yeah it's just randomly like that i'm really like language it's just a it's a fascination of mine so having access oh yeah yeah absolutely having yeah, access to you guys in canada is really fun to see the slight variant and kind of i don't know i just get obsessed over it a little bit yeah oh, i'm so much more conscious of that kind of thing these days like doing the podcast and everything and especially talking to you because you you'll pick out points where i use a bit of slang a bit of vernacular that i think is fairly like I, it just comes out of my mouth or i type it and i don't think about it and you kind of remind me oh yeah you, you're actually dealing with another culture here like there's no context for what you, the way you're using that word you need to explain yourself better yeah so i've ended up sort of bringing that up a lot more on my podcast i think on the one that i've just been editing there's points where we just go through defining terms so that <laughs> people understand what we're talking about yeah i've been i'm kind of crossing this weird corner now where all I listen to are BBC podcasts lately. Like, um, and it's probably people you're dead tired of, but, uh, Melvin Bragg, who I just found out who that was. Do you oh, know him? Yes, yeah. I love Sounds that nice. show in our time. Like it's, I don't know who the guy is. He kind of seems like a dick, but I love the show, but now I'm starting to use, and I QI is like my favorite TV show, which is, um, I'm sure that's overplayed to death and you're incredibly tired oh, of it. it it's, Oh, I wouldn't even say it's overplayed. It's one of the few programs over here that's at all intelligent. At least the, the, there's an attempt to force a little bit of knowledge into people's brains that are watching that, whereas most stuff, like our TV is very Americanized these days. A lot of things fall into the kind of America's Got Talent kind of... You, you, you're watching professionals judging people who are amateurs. Yeah. And that's about half of the shows that we have right now. <laughs> which is just utterly tedious and yeah, not a fan of that stuff. Yeah. So I've been, I've been getting, uh, not getting into, that's all I've been doing, but I found myself using Britishisms on accident. Like I said, bog standard the other day. Huh. That's not a, America doesn't, that's not a word we use. That's literally not like a bog is a, is a, is a marsh where you find mummies. And that's if you went to anthropology in college, like these are, yeah, that's not a term. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like I really need to go and listen to some more American stuff because I'm 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 getting my brain all melty and getting a little, you know, because <laughs> I'm I'm spongy with that, and I've realized oh, that I can't hear so. the accent anymore. I, I do exactly the same. I've been in. I've had guests at work insist to me repeatedly that I'm not English because of the words that I've used with them. <laughs> I said to one guy as he, um, I was helping a customer or something, and as he walked away, I said, "Oh yeah, no worries, mate." And he goes, "Oh, you must be Australian to be using that." Well, no, listen to my voice. And he goes, no, no, you're Australian. (laughs) 
no, seriously, man, I'm, I'm from England. Listen to my voice and there's no reason for me to lie to you. And he just walked away laughing like, no, no, you must be Australian if you've said that. So, okay. I, I had no idea that it was so sort of like cemented that that phrase, that simple sort of non sequitur at the end of a conversation in your mind or in this guy's mind solidifies it to be, yeah, you're from that culture. And I do the same thing with saying like, dude and man, like I've got a complete stoner sort of vocabulary and it, I get the impression that some of the people that I deal with just look at me like, where do you come from? Where is your head at? Yeah, it is. It's an interesting thing, especially when it starts bleeding through. It's got to be tougher for you guys because it's just the American entertainment industry is so prolific that this this fucking accent I'm throwing at you must just be really hard to fight off. Um, it's not that the accent itself would bleed over and any of us would pick it up necessarily. It's more that... I don't know. I can follow any American accent, whereas there are some Americans that I speak to that I, I pick up the pace with conversation a little bit and they fall apart. They don't know what I'm saying anymore. I think what we've got over here is a very strong familiarity with it to the point where, for some people at least, the edges have bled together, together to the point where there's this sort of, I don't know, amalgamation of culture. There's not much that I would classify as being very English or British necessarily anymore. There's kind of this, the same way that there's a mid-Atlantic accent, there's a mid-Atlantic culture where we, yeah, we love tea and we like all these little, little England kind of things. But at the same time, the way that we communicate and the kind of media that we ingest is all very American. And it, it's, it's a weird kind of mix, especially to be in the middle of it and seeing it all. Yeah, I don't think it's a conversation topic that really comes up, particularly the the effect of American culture over here. It's a, it's a subtle thing. Yeah, it's one of those. I mean, I I've just noticed because I I just feel like I'm almost like the the spy on you guys because I've listened to all the random BBC stuff and it has it's it's 100 not for Americans. So it's it's the entire usage of terms aren't you know copy corrected to let you know the the colonials know it's just the terms you guys use and talking to each other and it's so weird to get familiar with it but now i'm so familiar with it that the accents that i know i used to be able to differentiate between the english accents i can't hear anymore because it just sent like uh there's like melvin bragg and uh, stephen fry as well because they're two people i've heard talk a lot after about five minutes i literally can't hear their accent anymore it just sounds like a guy talking and i have to mm. focus going yeah, you're not using the language I am. Like, this is... Oh, fuck! <laughs> oh, yeah! This is odd! <laughs> well, I get I, I get what you mean. Stephen Fry's a bit of an outlier anyway, because he's got an incredibly posh English, English accent. Like, he's from money and everything. Like, he, he's kind of related to gentry, if memory serves. So there's there's a reason why he's so clearly spoken and enunciated by comparison to others. Yeah. The, the other people on the uh, on the show, um, the, there's a guy called Alan Davis who's on QI all the time, and he's always the butt of the joke because he doesn't really know much. His accent is a much more regional and a much more kind of. He uses a lot more colloquialism. Oh God, I'm chewing my own tongue trying to get that word word out. Colloquialisms. He uses a lot more of those, and um, I think he's a better example of how the average sort of Britain might talk. Whereas yeah. Stephen Fry, as I say, he's he's off on the out outside edge using all kinds of weird vocabulary and what have you yeah that's kind of why i like him he's got this weird nest to him but uh, the the alan thing is he's one of the examples where he used to have a thick accent to me and now it's just no it's alan talking uh, no words <laughs> nothing struggles but there is a bit because there's been moments on that show 
where the the uh, contestant, the guests, don't understand a phrase somebody else used. Like uh, the big, fat, sweaty guy that's on there a lot. His name might have the word Vegas in it. Oh, Johnny Vegas. There's been times where people on that fucking set, other people from that country don't understand what he's saying. And yeah, I, feel, I feel that's unfair for an American to like, fuck, <laughs> that's not our fault. We're much clearer than that, dude. <laughs> uh, Johnny Vegas is a famous kind of like, he's he's a bizarre comedic construct. Like, it, obviously, that's not his real name at all. And the joke, like the pervasive joke with him is that he's an unintelligible drunk almost all the time. Yeah. The reality is that that's actually an act. And the guy's kind of like... He's one of those interesting comedians where he's halfway between the persona he puts on stage and a normal person. Like when he leaves the stage, he's not a wreck falling about and being incoherent, what have you. But he does like a drink. And it's just that he bumps it up that little bit further. And especially on a show like QI, where he gets to play up being like, I'm thick, I don't understand anything. He goes that little bit further sometimes. And certainly if, if he starts talking fast, then good luck. Yeah, that's fun. But I, I like that. And I'm glad that you know that. I mean, I guess it's not like a hidden thing. But for me, the term Vegas immediately went, oh, you're doing the Dean Martin bit. Like, got it mm -hmm. immediately. Like, oh, you're doing the, hey, what are y'all doing in my bedroom thing? That slow, I'm pretending to be drunk, even though I'm drinking iced tea style. I'm like, oh, I like this guy. I, I understand him. He's old school, vaudeville, Rat Pack. Got it. You know, let's move mm -hmm. on. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you point that out. That's something that's, um, I don't know, a tr transmittable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a mark of how good his act is, I suppose. If he's managed to sort of put that out there and then convey it, then spot on. Yeah, well done, Johnny Vegas. So, <laughs> uh, and the, since we did bring it up somewhat over the internet there, and I was interested in this because I was having a good conversation with my friend about how it's tough to watch wrestling in the in the United States because I mean essentially the, a lot of the a lot of the heel bad guy villain characters are tend to be you know misogynists, homophobes, I mean just shitty people mm. and you're you know you're supposed to hate them. But there's parts of America where they're kind of the hero. Like you hear the crowd yeah. being like, "Yeah, kill that faggot." Like it's really awkward. So we had this kind of kind of heart to heart trying to figure out if it's actually morally okay to like the same thing as horrible people because we get the joke and they don't. Mm. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a fine line that the WWE treads in that respect. Yeah. Where, who's the character? I think it's Curtis Axel. Is he the one that was incredibly racist and had some guy called Zeke or something who came out with him and they were talking about how they were real Americans and other people aren't real Americans and they let people into the country stealing jobs. They're all that kind of rhetoric. Yeah, that's still there. His name's Zeb Coulter and the guy is Jack Swagger is, is his guy. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he's one that between me and the few people that I sit and occasionally look at wrestling with, we have a good laugh at that because it is that kind of like, it's it's the pervasive southern stereotype of like the, the the racist american like it's very clear that's what zeke culture is meant to be he he's appealing to that but then they softened him after a little while what we spotted was that it began with him being very very racist very clearly like any other race and then it changed to real american means somebody who comes to the country and works a lot and they started softening the edge of edges of that character to stop it being like Look, he doesn't purely appeal to racists. He's here to appeal to people who like the rhetoric that Fox News chucks out. The kind of, 
if they're here to work, then we're happy for them. But if not, then kick them out, show them no mercy. It, it, yeah, it, it's a funny one trying to decide whether you can justifiably say like, okay, I understand what they're doing with that. And that's okay, because maybe that would push a few people who were thinking the hardline racist stuff into being a little less horrible with it, only ever so slightly. But at the same time, will it really affect change? Or does it just create a cultural ubiquity that reinforces any kind of preconceived racism that might be out there? And that's that's the fight we were having because the uh, that was a character that came up was the the crowd because his, his his line is we the people and mm. they do it and it's and it's a cheap pop he does say it in a loud clear voice or some you know much you know better way that he puts it and the crowd chants with them we the people and this is that weird line where it's okay there, there are quite a few people that are doing it just because it's fun to scream random shit while you're in an yeah. audience and then there's other people that I'm sure are really saying you know, get get out of our country, you brown people, and shaking their fist, you know? I suppose they spend their money just like everybody else, and the WWE will take it. Yeah, it, it, it's... I, I think where I managed to maybe write off a little bit was that factor of softening the edges just enough that it's like, okay, it's not based on race, it's based on another arbitrary kind of standard that this character is set. And I can let it go a little bit more on that respect, but it certainly started off. I can remember seeing it for the first time because my housemate and brother watch wrestling a lot more than I do. I walked in one day to see this guy spouting racist stuff. And I was like, "This, what the hell? Are we looking at some kind of propaganda here? Is, is this some kind of bizarre? What's the agenda going on? But there's, I, I think, again, with the WWE, they keep painting this um, picture of a universe these days, the idea of the WWE universe. There's people all over the place representing every little subculture, everything you can think of. It's They try and represent it a little bit. Um, one of the more interesting groups, although they're not doing anything that exciting with them, is the, um, again, I'm terrible with names of characters, so bear with me, but the there's like a family that comes down and they've all got big beards and they're playing off of a kind of creepy southern weirdo thing oh the uh the wyatt family that's the one. i don't know and their the individual names in the but, rocking yeah. chair and rocks back and forth and says strange things i think during his match at wrestlemania he did the um exorcist style spider walk thing like crab yeah. walk on his hands and feet and that represents in my mind at least a certain kind of style i think um did you watch true detective at all yeah Where that that's recently been on I think they capture some of the kind of the dark, like you don't know what goes on in the bayou kind of idea. Like these guys have come out, come from the outlying areas of America, and it, it's a piece of Americana to think like, yeah, this there's this sector of the country that's all really backwards and cut off from everybody else, and it's interesting to have these guys turn up and be creepy. I think that's one one of the reasons why WWE works like it does is because there's these little caveats, these little niches of interest let's say yeah i know that's certainly gonna and i really like that um i don't know his name but the, the lead wyatt is he's amazingly just great on the mic i that guy yeah. won me over he had the crowd singing um he's got the whole world in his hands yeah yeah that was really weird i mean yeah as an as another adult watching it like and really knowing how it's constructed obviously you can take a step back and say okay i see what they're doing and that's playing the crowd beautifully but just as an audience member getting sucked into that and thinking like, yeah, if I weren't quite so cynical and deconstructionist about the way that I view this stuff, I could probably get into that. And were I in the crowd, I'd sing along and have a laugh with it. 
Yeah. And that's the, and I don't know. Yeah. You, I mean, it must be, I know you're aware of it, but as, as an American that isn't fucking crazy. Well, wait, I am fucking crazy, but in a very open-minded, thoughtful kind of crazy, um, those people scare the fuck out of me. Like the, I mean, the fact that like, I'm so embarrassed on QI, they actually referenced, uh, uh, creationism on an episode. I'm like, Oh God, England knows about that. Oh, we were hoping to have that cleared up before anybody else found out. You know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I've, I, I find there's the spookiness is kind of, uh, multiplied in me. Cause it's one of those like, Oh God, there's, that actually is part of the country that's happening right now, but it's also pretty fucking cool the way the guy's doing it. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and sorry about that creationism thing. We, um, oh no, I no one, no we, one. We've really... already got Scientology and all that oh. over here. We've we've had Dianetics for years. Yeah. Well... In fact, we've had people in the middle of the town that I live in handing out those um, personality test things, like tick the boxes to find out if you can ever be happy, kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. And of course, you can never be happy with the boxes that you ticked. So, uh, but they've been around for at least a decade. There's. Um, the next town over from here has one of the largest Dianetics or Scientology centers in the country. Oh, really? Oh, boy. So we, we import all your mysticism and guff. There's <sighs> people that believe in fairies, all this kind of stuff that you, you might think it's culturally restricted to your country, but no, no. We've well, got as, just as many people ready to jump on the bandwagon over here. Oh, no, I no, that I know. Like, I come from an occult background, so I, I know where a lot of the stuff came from. And I'm looking at you, England. Like, I've, <laughs> I, I've read the biography of your court astrologer uh, under Victoria. So, no, I I know where I know where this came from. But the creationist thing is like literally there's in the in the southern states of America, there's in biology classes that's taught in a science class that that an equal theory to evolution is is god created everything in a day and something i don't really know how the theory works because the dinosaurs and petroleum thing i don't really understand it, just, yeah. it, it ends up with just don't think about it i'm pretty sure i guess <laughs> write it off <laughs> put the word god at the end of the sentence put a full stop and forget yeah, it. but it's in the schools, and so that's the that's the kind of cringy one of like, oh, I don't want to live here. This, no one else should find out about this. Like, wait, this this is like like the retarded half brother that he keep chained in the attic. Like, just no, no one look there. Don't look at the South. We're New York's doing great things. Portland, look at us. We're silly. We wear hipster clothes. Don't don't look at the South. <laughs> <laughs> I can't blame you for thinking that. I mean, there's no, in this country, there's not really any kind of like divide like that. I can't look to one town or place and say, right, this is where we've got this harbour of ignorance, let's say. <laughs> like, I, I think one of the main things that comes up a lot at the moment is um, Islam in our country and uh, Muslim schools in particular. There was a, a recent news story about, I think it was in Birmingham or Bristol, um, one, of the, one of the towns in the country that's kind of known for being a lot more racially um, mixed and a lot of immigration happened specifically to that city. Um, they were saying that there were 25 schools that were being indoctrinated and having all of their curriculum adjusted to fit uh, like Islamic doctrine and stuff. And it, it's difficult to know sometimes whether or not that's true. I think in the case, like obviously the stuff with this um, religious cemetery in the southern states of America, it's, it's there's a new story every week about trying to block some basic aspect of education, some aspect of science just gets pushed to the side and treated like it's nothing in the name of like venerating a god. 
I don't know, strange times that we live in where we can have so many different niches of behavior that happen right alongside each other and the likes of you and I kind of look around and go, oh God, it's all happening and I'm not part of any of this, but I'm going to have to endure being around it. Yeah, it's 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 rather awkward. But that goes back to the, the, the wrestling thing of, well, how much of this can I take joy in and how much can I, you know, like I, this creationist thing is fucking hilarious, it, except for... It didn't, I guess it just didn't occur to me or I never really directly thought about the fact that like, ah, crap, the other countries know about this because it's one thing. It's funny for us because like, ah, look at these idiots, but ah, the rest of the world knows about it. It's that's, I'm really, I mean, I'm embarrassed about my country pretty often because we do some fucked up things, but that's a, ooh, that's a, that's like a, your pants down in public kind of embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, ignorance is everywhere, like I say. We're, Britain's known for its bloody tourists. Like, English people on holiday are renowned as the worst in the world. Like We go around, get drunk, trash things, and then act like it was supposed to happen. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. We've all got our shames. Yeah, that's true. It's just the, the ones that are just so, like, literally, their, their stance is, we don't believe in science. It is, <laughs> I mean, just, oh, the, the, the hurtfulness of it. Yeah, I mean, I know every country ever has always had this exact same battle it's just this is one that i thought we had put the bed like we should Mm. like scientology let's argue with scientology now like at least they're recent yeah you can trace it back to its roots that's what's ridiculous is are they so good at litigation and the judgment system or the justice system in that country so easily bought that that's how they maintain control because it certainly seems from the outside looking in to be the case that they just gag people like, oh, you want to say something bad about Scientology? Right. Monetary gag. We've got way more money and way more lawyers who are in the entertainment industry or connected or whatever that'll just shut you up and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's my understanding of it is I know a lot of uh, um, when that, what was the movie called? Uh, the Master came out with, I think it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, oh, yes, I've seen that. Kind that's of, a good film. Kind of like a, you know, a quote unquote veiled Scientology sort of thing. And that was supposed to be, or at least my understanding of it was, at least if, maybe if it's not that movie specifically, but I know there's been other attempts of this, that they wanted to make a movie about directly Scientology, you know, L. Ron Hubbard and just, mm. you know, the absolute weirdness of a, I mean, a guy that wrote science fiction books said to his friends publicly, he's going to invent a religion and make a million bucks, did it, and then somehow people fucking believe in it. And people tried to make movies about it, and yeah, they got, from what I understand, they just put gag orders, just, this is... Um, you know, this is a uh, libel or uh, whatever the the spoken version of that is, where you know you slander. can't slander. Thank you. Yeah, this is slander, and this is you know where you're not allowed to go through with it. And so the the closest you can do is making a sort of fake movie about quote unquote the master. You know. Yeah, it it certainly haven't seen it. It skates around directly pointing the finger and saying this is L. Ron Hubbard in the circumstance, but it does exactly the things that L. Ron Hubbard does. or did sorry he um, took people out on boats and indoctrinated them in situations where they were socially pressured to such an extent that they effectively broke and the film deals with some of those ideas quite nicely but yeah like I say it certainly doesn't point the finger and make it explicit which is probably what's required at this point really yeah but that's uh, arguably that a lot of the problems generally in society are the fact that people roll their eyes and say well that's the way it is let it go on oh, you know they're stupid, so forget about it. And slowly but surely, the stupid people gain numbers, and it seems like maybe people should have been talking back a bit earlier. 
for a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. There is a uh, there's another kind of evil side to the story, or you know, darker side that I've been hearing about. That so, Elron Hubbard, he's you know just a sci-fi writer, just being a bullshit artist, and he just takes pre-existing some pre-existing ideas, slaps some new names on it, goes, uh yeah, let's use boat captain names, and that'll be our religious structure." Harmless, just, you know, pyramid scheme idiocy. That same thing as every other religious cult. But when he passed away, the dude that runs it now, um, who I don't know his name, um, Militage, I think, or maybe that's the guy that does Disney. They're very close in my head. But anyway. No idea off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, the guy that runs it now, uh, from what I've heard, uh, allegedly, whatever I have to say so I don't get sued, um, is the one that kind of took it this weird dark way that is completely suing people that, you know, the stories of kidnapping people, like indoctrination from childhood, that that's mm. kind of this next dude's leadership. L. Ron Hubbard was much more of this, the standard, just, you know, idiot hippies believing in dumb things and living in communes. It's, it's hard to tell ultimately with that kind of thing, especially when the mud, the waters get muddied by so much sort of PR and propaganda coming out of the Scientologists themselves married against other people who have an agenda to be strongly against it i mean ultimately like i say it, it we know where the foundation of this is and it is it is a scam ultimately it's a cult at its core and that's why it's so unbelievable that it, it goes on and that people buy into it i mean the, the other one that's kind of famous for that with south park lampooning it in particular is mormonism where it's oh, yeah, yeah some guy some kid went out into the woods and said that he had some gold tablets that nobody else saw but he he knows all of this, so trust him, right? It, it's that same level of like the scam's so obvious. It, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. Oh, I know something you don't know, and you have to trust me as a result. Yeah, and that one's even more obvious. Joseph Smith, the the Mormon dude, he was kicked out of like three different states before that for like yeah. various you know uh, chicanery and you know. Uh, breaking his wedding vows and stealing money and you know doing running scams and that's the reason they ended up in utah because they'd gotten just they'd just basically been kicked out of every state on the way and they're like oh look a vast fucking nothing of salt this sounds perfect there's no one here to kick us out there it's new jerusalem everybody sit down let's marry each other (laughs) (laughs) well it's worked for them well enough and it seems like at least the people that are involved with the religion seem to be very nice. I don't think I've ever heard anybody saying that they've met an asshole that's a Mormon or anything like that. It tends to be that they shrug and go, well, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. Which, as far as religions goes, is about as good as it gets, really. Yeah, I think... Yeah, you, I, you might be right on that one. I don't know that I've run into a lot of really loud, annoying Muslims... Muslims, oh, Jesus, whoops, uh, uh, Mormons... Um, <laughs> that are trying to like convert you or anything. Yeah. They are pretty just kind of laid back. I think the thing is their religion is so embarrassing that it'd be tough to try to, I mean, they have magic underpants. The ladies have to wear magic underpants. Yeah. I've seen a few videos of the kind of trying to get the behind the scenes. There was was one that was like um, some pristine white temple and they'd gone in and there was some handshake they had to do. And they were trying to get in some inner sanctum to see this bizarre ritual that they were doing. And it, it just reeked of, I don't know, ritualism and creating consensus by having these bizarre rituals that nobody feels like they can explain to other people. But because you have this shared experience, we're now stronger together. Like, it, It's a funny thing studying indoctrination and especially religious practices that are like that. Yeah. And then the, the weird line that we draw, like when I when I was a kid, I mean, this is one of those things that I just, you know, when you get to that realization point where you actually kind of 
shed the way you used to view it. Every Sunday, my mom made me eat a Jewish guy's flesh and drink his blood after uh, pledging my eternal soul to him. That's what I did on Sundays. What the fuck? <laughs> what, what the fuck? You know, it's so like, it was so normal because it's just like, yeah, I just go to Catholic church. It's what you do. But taken out of context, transubstantiation, they literally believe this is flesh and blood. Whoa. Enjoy your weekly cannibalism. Yeah. What a, what a, I mean, yeah. All right. Thetans and space pirates that get exploded with bombs. Yeah. That's pretty weird. But ritual cannibalism every fucking Sunday in the suburbs. That's, that's a strange one. Uh, uh. Well, at least Catholicism's the one that openly kind of like people just fall away from that by default. Almost <laughs> that that religion, how it retains anybody that still goes to the church after it, like they hit their twenties or thirties, I guess. I don't know how it survives at all. <laughs> it's, uh... It seems like everybody I've ever known that's been involved with it. By the time they hit their twenties, they're so done with that idea. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's weird. It's, it's Latin American countries are where most of the Catholics are now. Like. They're apparently the church is actually growing, even though it's to me it seems like they'd be yeah. shrinking. But it's just because it's I mean, essentially white Europeans aren't Catholic anymore. It's mm. it's all the South American countries, like uh it's that's where I don't know what it is, like places with like, you know, larger families and kind of larger kin group ideas are still very much Catholic, oddly enough. Mm. You could, I don't know, you could probably make some harsh judgments, or at least I'm immediately just leaping to the less educated explanation, which is a harsh judgment, like I say, but it's hard not to think that countries with less emphasis on educational structure and what have you, that they're not going to have higher religion. That's That's my thinking, but I don't know enough about the countries. I was literally going to refer to them and this won't make sense to you, but to an American, it would make sense. I would, I was going to refer to them as, you know, the countries that like soccer because <laughs> I don't know the names of them, but you being European, it's there's all of them do. But over here, yeah. when you say soccer countries, it's all the ones down there. They got a bunch of kids, you know, those ones. Hey, you didn't have to step out for a second. Let me just take this moment to tell you to go to Paranormal People Online. That's ParanormalPeopleOnline.com. There you will find the writings of Mr. Fortian Writer on Twitter, at Fortian Writer. That's Martin J. Clemens. He has been referenced in the show, and he is lovely. I actually did a guest post for him about uh, occultism, um, chaos magic, and the nature of the modern world and how it relates to the magical trance state and related to the Commodore 64 and Nintendo games. So that's pretty fun, right? So go to paranormalpeopleonline.com, paranormalpeopleonline.com, or find him on Twitter at 14 writer, and you will see my guest post on there and you know, read his other stuff. Cause it's very good. So yes. Now we return you to our regularly scheduled Eden. The problem I have with other kind of, um, whatever this, whatever we do, amateur podcast or whatever, yeah. the, whatever the, this thing's called, um, is, and I, it's, it's happened on shows I've been a guest on and it's a problem for me because, you know, just coming from the host background is the, the giant gaps that where conversation should be. And mm. my inclination is I'm white knuckling going, someone, someone fucking talk, someone say, and the, t and the timing's always off because I don't think they notice that it's awkward. And it's mm. my, my, er, my inclination as a host is to jump in. I'm like, yeah, whatever, it's their show. They'll fix it later. 
most of the time they don't. So you'll be listening to this and you can just hear this giant uncomfortable gap in the recording. And it's just... See, there's the occasions where I like to keep those in mind because sometimes something will be said that requires a long bit of silence after it just to oh. sort of note, like, you just said something weird or confusing and we're just going to take a moment to let that sink in. Yeah. Oh, entirely like, different. No, those are wonderful. No, 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 that's purposeful yeah, sweating perfect yeah no <laughs> comedic timing and everything that's the aspect but i definitely know what you mean because editing my stuff a lot of the time i'm editing out like 30 40 seconds worth of dead silence where there's just a lull in the conversation or something somebody's been distracted by something on a computer screen in front of them the conversation drops off and then we pick it back up again in about 20 seconds and it's back to the full energy again if i leave that gap in the middle of it as you say you you sit listening to it thinking what, what's happening? Like, why yeah. have you just shut up? It sounds like you've all just silenced yourselves awkwardly. And in, in my mind, at least, if it goes silent like that for no good reason, like no good comedy purposes or anything, I tend to think like, ooh, you've dropped the ball. Like you floundered a little bit there and you're not really pushing the show forward like you should. Yeah. And then... Again, it, 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 it's difficult to critique again sometimes though because podcasts are a weird thing. Like, we're having a fairly focused conversation right now, whereas the stuff that I often put out tends to be a very casual, flowing conversation that goes in five directions and then slowly but surely pulls itself back around to what we were originally talking about. And as such, I don't know, it, it's just different flavours more than anything else. But as you say, the ones, the ones with the big awkward gaps, yeah, definitely a little bit of uh, editing on those. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's really all I ask for out of a podcast because I'm pretty forgiving. As long as I can hear the people and you know, that's it. Just don't leave big, awkward gaps. And, you know, unless obviously it serves a purpose or, you know, that's just make it sound, just make it do the, the rudimentary. It takes no effort stuff to cut out the giant gap. Like I've listened to a bunch of your shows and you don't leave those in like the ones I'm referencing. Like I can hear you Mm. actually edit stuff. And I like that because unless you're going live edit, I'm not saying edit people's words out or like, you know, I mean, if it's really boring, that's fine. I mean, you do it with a whole bunch of people for hours, so that's a little different. But yeah. if, like, for me, it's me and one gaster just by myself. I don't edit anything we say out, but I will, you know, run a couple filters on it. If there's if there's a gap here, I'll throw it in. If I forgot to do the sponsor stuff, throw it in the front. Make it sound like a fucking real show. It doesn't take that much effort. You know, you're already here. You already think you want other people to listen to your stuff. I just... Like we're saying with the, with the editing stuff, just just run spell check at least, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's a strange thing because, as I say, so many people online making these podcasts and everything, and the the market is oversaturated to the point where it's it's almost farcical to think about starting if you were doing it now. Where how the hell do you find an audience? And when we've got these people making like two, three very low quality things, giving up, but at the same time expecting everybody sort of in, I don't know. Within Death Squad, there's a certain expectation to sort of push things a little bit. And especially if people are doing interesting stuff, it gets brought to the fore a lot more. But there's alongside that, this sense of like, okay, you're just starting. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And you keep giving the benefit of the doubt and nothing ever really happens. It it feels like there's a few people from because we both got connected. I think we talked about this briefly last time when we were talking ages back. We got connected through somebody who was sort of just following everybody that was making podcasts and liked death squad comedians. And they seem to have 
um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name now. It's it, it's somebody who I don't follow anymore because he got a little bit kind of uh, dramatic with his behaviour online. Let's say. Yeah, that does happen. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, and but they brought everybody's kind of together and over the last couple of years there's been a few sort of faces and names that have been constant like um mitch nutter um oh god i'm so bad with <laughs> names and half asleep because it's the middle of the night but uh, do you get what i mean like I... There, there's these people that have gotten together in this group and within that there's an ethos of let's all help each other the problem is is that some people don't want the help they just want the boost yeah, and I then there's that's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, well, then there's the the other side of it too is the um, the with the the death squad thing of these kind of it's no one in particular. It's just a vibe that happens that oh now we're friends with the comedians so fuck the people mm. we came up with you know and there's this weird thing where it's uh, because you know Joey Diaz is very cool and talks to all of his fans and there's the um, I don't really follow a lot of the newer shows but like Tony Hinchcliffe I guess does it as well. And there's a lot of, there's like this, you know, probably 20 person kind of conglomerate and no one in particular, like this is not like no one person should take any offense from this. It's just the, this vibe thing that I see happening where it's like, now it's more focused on like bolstering the people that are already there, which is fine. But now we've kind of crossed from being like a cool group of like-minded people wanting to create things to essentially, you know, dude groupies. Yeah, it, it again another fine line to tread because I yeah. I tried not to, I, I don't tend to listen to all of the Death Squad podcasts. There's not enough hours in the day to do this kind of stuff. Like I have the ones that I like, and sometimes it does feel like there are some people that are just here to sort of wave a placard and say, "Yeah, Death Squad, everything about Death Squad, awesome." The yeah. end. It, it it again, it's it's weird because we've all ended up like I've got hashtag Death Squad on my profile. And sometimes I look at that and I think, as much as it's a little thing, and, and it can kind of sound a little poncy to be like mulling these things over at length, but if I have that there, am I then jumping off the back of Brian Redband's success with his stuff and trying to draw attention to myself having it? Mm. Am I supporting them? Is this a mark of me being part of a community? And if it is, then what does that mean? It, it's... I don't know. It, it's something that is difficult to kind of define because we're all in different places. And for the most part, the people with this direct affiliation, we can't all sit down together and have this conversation. And even if we did, everybody's going to have a slightly different idea. Yeah, I I mean, I actually did the, the exact thing you're talking about was I sat down and looked at that death squad thing in my profile and I ended up deleting it because I just realized that one, I just tried it as an experiment. I realized how much less just douchey my timeline got almost immediately because I didn't feel the need to keep following these people that like every day is some new fight they're in, you know, like just, mm-hmm. ugh, just you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like just, I mean, I'm kind of particularly laid back when it comes to arguing. I just don't, I mean, unless it's like a fun intellectual point, I just don't really see the point in yelling. It just, it doesn't, you know, I'll yell about something real. I'll yell about, you know, Roman battle tactics, but I, not you know, not stuff that matters now. That just seems, and everybody was doing that. And I realized it just, it was easier to step out and I still support the same people I support, but just taking that away, like less annoying people started following me and less like accusatory people. Like at one point when, when I was putting, when I put periphery out, some dude accused me of using death squad to, uh, to sell the book. And it's mm, like, that that's the kind of thing yeah. that I've been concerned about where, especially because 
when I started out with this podcast that I'm doing now, I mean, I'd, I'd previously done something and was way away from Twitter, never involved with anything like that. Certainly not in any way associated with any of the desk or comedians or any of the fandom for it. So coming into that and starting this new podcast and quite quickly getting affiliated with the fandom of death squad at the very least, it, it, there was like an, a constant thought in my mind of like, am I, am I going to be seen to be jump piggybacking off of Brian Redband's work and Joe Rogan's popularity? And, and then I, I would hope at this point, I certainly think that in your case, like you're definitely like doing your own thing and everything. I, I've literally, as we've been sat talking about this, I've just removed Death Squad from my thing. I do have this feeling like it needs to be differentiated at the very least. It needs to be Death Squad Junior or, or something so that it's not like, right, I don't want to be seen to be holding the coattails of somebody else because I don't feel like what I do is anything like what they do. I'm not a professional comedian. No, none of the people that I sit down with are. We're just trying to push ourselves to speak a little bit more clearly, having interesting things to talk about, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's... Should I should I sell it to people with Death Squad on that basis? Is that what I'm doing? Yeah, it's an interesting... I guess now I'm not. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's an interesting... Yeah, it's an interesting argument because I still kind of go back and forth because I still like a lot of... I met a lot of cool people through... I mean, we're having the conversation because we're both in... You know, we both at some point... We're into Death Squad stuff. We got to meet each other. So I met a yeah. lot of cool people that way, but it's just as I don't want to be like the dude that, you know, oh, are using Death Squad to sell your book. Like, dude, I remember when Death Squad got coined. Like, I've been here since it started. Like, this isn't don't fucking police me. And I was like, ah, yeah. crap, there's a community of policing in it. And it's like, fuck it. I, I'm not good at belonging to shit in the first place. But when I have to start showing my credentials, nah, fuck you, dude. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm, if you yeah. want me to do a dance for you to prove how much I know about Death Squad or something like that, then that's just a waste of time. I, I completely empathize with that. That's As I was saying, the, the guy that I remember to have brought a lot of people together, he was one of these judgmental types. He's like, oh, you can't say this. You can't say that. You can't make a podcast about this because of A, B, and C. And always relate it back to, yeah, but that's not what Death Squad is. But oh, nobody yeah. knows what Death Squad <laughs> is. That's the point. The yeah. point is, it's just a nebulous thing. Yeah, we all like these comedians. That's really what brought us together. The end. Yeah, that's the that's. I think the line, and it just kind of occurred to me now. What what the line is, at least to me, is when I started, I was doing the same thing Joe did. I mean, Joe is of course a professional comedian, Joe Rogan. Because mm -hmm. why am I calling him by his first name? But um. <laughs> Uh, it's probably because I've listened to it for hundreds of hours and I feel like he's my friend in some psychotic way. Having heard every episode, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've, listened, I've listened from number one to the current one. Like, you do get a sense of like, well, I, I kind of know the guy at this point. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm I, not to want to use first name. Yeah, I have to try to fight that because like, oh, that's a little creepy. But uh, is the, the line is like when I started, I did the same thing Joe did. I heard Opie and Anthony, who I'd been listening to for years and went, oh, that's awesome. I want to do a thing where I talk to my interesting friends and say fucked up things and have fun. And then Joe did that, and it was great because he's a professional comedian who's friends with professional comedians. That's awesome. I'm like, oh, I'm doing the same thing on my amateur level. But then there's the people that did it because the other people did it. So, like, we're now at, like, this third party removed where, you know, it's almost like when the mutations start happening from the original, you know, you start splicing genes and the things start getting, like, like your royal family. Like, you're all just, <laughs> just weird, anemic reptile people now. But originally, you were, you know, pure you know, from Nibiru or wherever you guys came from. <laughs> it's been a pure reptile once upon yes. a time before they mated with the simians. Yes, exactly. It's, you know, Welsh and all that. But 
<laughs> yeah, that it's just weird when you watch the line go down. And after a while, I just went, oh, all right. So these are the people that are copying the people that are not copying, but are that one more step removed where it's just like, I don't I don't need to deal with like, I'm just trying to be creative. And that's what the famous people are doing. We just want to do yeah. that. Like, don't 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 yell at me for it. You know, it's a fucking hashtag. Yeah. No, just just to be clear as well on Death Squad, like all the people that I've ever interacted with bar maybe two or three love them like it's it's great to be able to go online and have a conversation like i can come on here and go on about technology or a conspiracy theory or any number of weird little things that i'm interested in that nobody in my personal life is and i can have the conversation i can actually have people come along and not immediately go oh you pay attention to conspiracies i guess you're probably a conspiracist instead you get the open-minded types to come along and go yeah that is a bit weird isn't it let's discuss it a bit further yeah that's that's a fun part of it. That's what we we're discussing a little bit. The uh, my conspiracy theory past. I that's where I got on the road of weirdness. It was a comedy. Like I pretty much I read Umberto Eco's uh, Falco's Pendulum when I was like twelve or thirteen, and that's all just shock a rock full of. That's not a phrase, but it's full of uh, just Freemasons and Illuminati and just everything you ever need to know to go nuts and live in a basement for the rest of your life. And I was like, Oh, this is just, this is amazing. So I just started reading. That's how I found David Icke. Um, and he was pre reptile David Icke. That was back when he called them the luciferic consciousness this is before the reptile started. Oh, so yeah. I've been around for a long time and I got really into conspiracy theory. I was believed in, you know, uh, the JFK assassination and then his JFK jr. Not JFK jr. Uh, his brother, Robert Kennedy, all of them I was well-versed in, well-versed, and then 9-11 comes around, and oh my god, the king of conspiracy theories. Oh god, yeah. And then it occurred to me, like, wait a second, my country's a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, we can't make the taxes work. Like, we don't build things right. Like, we're bumbling buffoons. That's what government is. Like, we, we joke around about it. That's the basis of all shitty cartoons and newspapers. Why do I believe the people that, on one hand, can't build a road can somehow orchestrate this massive thermite paint on walls and kidnapping people out of planes and slamming not planes into buildings. And they, but I can't believe they can handle my tax return properly. <laughs> and at one point I just go, Oh fuck. I think conspiracy theory is all bullshit. And it just kind of like washed away. And I was like, Oh, I, I guess I can't really do it anymore. Like the, the magic's gone. Yeah. You certainly can't buy into it wholesale. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I could talk around your part of your argument there. The the idea that the government would be sowing like the, the the dichotomy of a government that's both incompetent and competent at the same time. I think that's entirely possible because everybody there's individuals that work within the system, and if anything, obfuscation and covering up any kind of wrongdoing or any personal agenda, it, it's perfect to have a whole bunch of idiot patsies around you at any given time where you can tell them to go and do something at your behest for one reason, but your true reasoning for getting them to do it is, oh, you're going to distract people from this subject, or you're going to undermine this aspect of what the government's doing in such a way that means that anybody um, talking about conspiracy related to it immediately sounds like a nut. Of course, if you buy into that idea, then you, you're back at square one and you're ready to buy into any kind of conspiracy that's going. Yeah, and... I mean, I can kind of see that, but it takes, it's more the, where the evidence we're calling from, like, all right, so given that, and this is something I've, I've certainly kind of debated of, there is, you know, the, the, 
the secret government, the one that actually within the government, there's the, the cells of people that actually know what's going on. But mm-hmm. when we, when, when I'll say we, when we look at conspiracy theory evidence, like I remember that when I found out about Bohemian Grove, have you read oh, about yes. that, that California? I'm aware of that one. Yeah. So it's political <laughs> leaders of the world worshiping Moloch, this ancient God statue. And this is a thing that happens. It literally happens. Mm-hmm. There's pictures of it. So it's like, oh fuck, that's, that's weird. But then I have to step back and be like, wait a second. Does that mean that those are the ones that are actually the ones in charge? Because I saw Nixon there. I saw fucking Elvis Presley there. Yeah. So those pictures of the alumni and everything are really kind of strange to look at and be like, wow, really? All these movers and shakers on the global level, all in one place? But also, but it's hard not to associate some degree of conspiracy with that. Well, yeah, some degree of conspiracy, but I think it's more conspiracy. It's a. a great John Kennedy tool. It's a confederacy of dunces. It's it's a mm. conspiracy of dunces because Richard Nixon's there and he's the one that fucked up. He couldn't steal files from a fucking hotel without getting busted. How is he faking moon landings and and, 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 and assassinating presidents if you can't steal shit from a hotel? And that's the guy at at Bohemian Grove. Like that's him. So is he a double bluff? Is he, is he the, is he the dummy that thinks he's in charge, but he's, is he a dummy that thinks he's smart, but they're actually a dummy, but is smart? Is this like a tri- triple bl- You see, now I'm falling down a fucking hole. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel myself going down already. Yeah. I'm trying to join you on this. I'm sort of like, well, yeah, it could be a triple bluff. He could be a useful idiot. He's there to, well, he might not even be an idiot. It might be that, well, you're the piece on the chessboard that does this. Guess what? You're going to be pilloried. That, that's the way it's going to be. You serve a purpose in terms of undermining trust in the government or whatever purpose they might have wanted him to serve. And then at the end of it all, he gets sent off to like his retirement and what have you, fully understanding that this is the role he chose to take. He understands his part in the grand scheme of things. And that's just the way it goes. You've got to have heroes and you've got to have fools, especially in a narrative that requires the general public to get on board with it. Yeah, it's just already like yeah. that that just puts us straight into conspiracy town that's just like well i might as well put on my tinfoil cap right now yeah. and forget about everything that makes sense and just start babbling on about government conspiracy and nibiru as you say yeah but i mean there's certain the thing is there is a lot of evidence for a bunch of them so it's i'm not wholesale throwing them out it's just it's the it's the the puppeteers behind it don't hmm. seem don't see that I, I feel like they're not puppeteers i feel like it's it's gross idiocy that there's no way that we can see how dumb it is so we put together facts that make it look like a grand evil we meet in cloaks kind of thing where really it's just rich people like giving money to rich people because that's how they keep their money and then they're just as dumb as everybody else so while they're trying to keep their money they went oh fuck that whole Castro thing went south and now the president's dead instead of well, let's hire the mafia, four guys on the grassy knoll and whatever the hell the other theories are to kill Kennedy because he was going to announce whatever aliens were landing or whatever the fuck the theory is. Yeah. I, I, well, the one, the, the main one that I've heard is that he was going to disband the CIA. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. Yeah. His, his big was that he was going to take them to task. And it's, again, with the sort of mystery surrounding the CIA and certainly all the kind of 
Iran-Contra, drug running, things that have come out since that give you a strong indication that it seems to be a fairly corrupt organisation. You can buy into it a little bit, but that's all things that came afterwards, whereas the, the whole assassination idea is something that's been around for a long time. Yeah, and what's fun with that, you ever see that thing, uh, there's a, I think it's on YouTube, where they talk about how uh, George H. Bush, uh, uh, the first President Bush, killed Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've that, seen that one. That was a fun one, just in terms of tying things up in a nice little loop. So, like, and, oh, yes, of course, he stole power by killing the president years before. And I know and you, that put him in a position of trust with all of his people around him, so they bumped him up to the man in charge. So fearful and respecting him. <laughs> so obviously the can in the cupboard while Jack Nicholson was locked in there was a signal from Stanley Kubrick. Do you see what we're doing? We're room 237-ing this. We're just staring at something for long enough that we're just now we think like now we think that Kennedy faked the moon landing with his brains like this is <laughs> that's it. The deeper you go, the more ridiculous things get. And this is yeah, that's the slow. And I I do love this shit. And there are there are conspiracy theories that we need a better term for, but like that um the thing that got America into Vietnam. It's the um the something Bay incident. Um, oh, it's not one of the ones that Rogan goes on about. Yeah, I know that he talks about Operation Northwoods and Gulf of Tonkin. Gulf of Tonkin, it's, that's it, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're legitimate conspiracies. And, it, and yeah. that's where it gives enough credence to be like, well, I can't completely write it all off now, can I? Yeah, and that's, this is where my maddening thing comes from, where it's, I mean, I essentially just had to put it down because I don't know where to look. I mean, the same as Room 237, you start watching that film, Oh, people at home who didn't hear me talk about this previously, it's a film about people obsessing over uh, Stanley Kubrick films, especially The Shining and all the hidden shit in it. But, uh, you know, it's at some point we're either them or maybe some of it's right, but I don't know that we can ever be right. So you start, there's like a, I don't know, like you look deep into the void and the void stares back or whatever the fuck that quote is. Like, hmm. you can't do it for that long. And there's some conspiracies I would like to track down more. And then there's... Others where it's just, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, think that everything's a metaphor for whatever you think it's a metaphor for. Yeah. I, I had a, um, years and years back, uh, I had a friend who, uh, he lived quite local to me and he wasn't somebody that I saw all that often. Um, cause he was a bit strange to be perfectly honest. And one day he came around and knocked on my door and he, he was very adamant that I had to go out with him there and then. And as I say, he's not somebody that I spent a lot of time with, so it was really kind of odd for him to turn up like this. And I went along with it, perfectly happy to sort of be his friend and everything and see what he had to say. And he took me out to a local area, and as, as we were driving along, he was like, right, you need to be careful about this. Where I'm going to take you, it's a, it's a Masonic Lodge, and I'm quite certain that there are like bad things going on there. And as soon as he said Masonic Lodge, like something in my head clicked to say, okay, right, I get the feeling like he's losing it a bit yeah like he he seemed a little bit too anxious about what we were about to do and as we we're driving along he starts explaining all these symbolic things that he's seen and what he's been reading about with the masons and all this kind of stuff and i knew all of it so i kind of let him do his thing tell me all about it and as we approached the place he started telling me more about the things i should be looking out for as we got up to it he was saying there's anytime you see um sun symbology or Arches in particular, like pyramid-type shapes, especially if it, has, if it has a circle near the top of it, all-seeing eye, all this kind of stuff. And as we're walking along down these residential streets, I point up to all of the arches on the roof and say to him, 
can you not see like if you want to take this kind of attitude as you're presenting it to me right now we can look up at every building around us and there's an arch and some of them have windows near the top of the arch is that symbolic <laughs> of freemasons and what have you and he took a moment and sort of not with defeat but with a certain amount of stepping back from the idea said to me oh yeah i, I guess you're right maybe i shouldn't look so much into it took it to me down this road and we looked between a couple of houses as, as we approached he was saying to me don't look directly at it don't be seen to be sort of like pointing or anything i, I was trying not to laugh to be honest i was sort of like well you're taking this all far too seriously mate but okay looked over at this building and admittedly it was a little bit of a strange setup where in the middle of this suburban residential area there's just a missing house and then a dirt trail that leads up to this large sort of community hall building that does have a strange pattern in its window and as we passed it he was telling me all about oh they do this in there they do that in there this window means this and isn't it strange that it's put away and i had to break it down for him like this building could be anything like yes it has a strange pattern in its window that doesn't mean anything as i've pointed out to you all of the buildings around us have arches what you're using to confirm what you believe is so broad that it doesn't mean anything to anybody that's really thinking about it and unfortunately that was the last time i ever saw the guy because <laughs> he never ever called round again after that and i was left wondering whether or not he'd gone far down the rabbit hole and just lost his way doing that and confirmation bias, which was what he was falling into, is a tempting thing. I'll say that. Yeah, it it is tough because I watch my friends start going nuts and I try to talk them out of it. And it just sounds like I'm being a hipster going like, oh, I was there first. But I'm just mm. trying to impart like, no, I wasted a lot of time reading. And I just you're just going in a place where th there's nothing fruitful comes out of this. I had a friend, and you just reminded me of this, that truly believed that McDonald's is the Illuminati. Oh, damn. Because our, uh, uh, yellow arches, as your friend was saying, so these are, that's the symbol of masonry and the, like, their sun worship, mm -hmm. and that they're all around, and that the, the vast slaughter of cattle for the beef is the sacrifices for whatever, you know, scary old-timey god that the Illuminati's actually believe in. And what's what's fucked about it is my immediate reaction is, oh, that's just fucking stupid. I mean, why? Do, well, I mean, actually, you do kind of bring up a good point. And I start I have to start considering because like, well, if you think about it, like ritually, if I mean, they do do ritual. So you are murdering a lot of creatures and it is a yellow. And then just fuck, you did it to me again. You know, it just makes the world that much more interesting. Yeah. To have that kind of thing potentially going on. I think it's yeah. just so tempting to have this idea that, yeah. The reason that you've been told for this, no, that's not true. There's actually a secondary motive. And it's people generations ago from a time that's beyond history and certainly not in the public eye. That's where the foundation of this behavior is. And this is why we do it. Because then it can just lead to the whole idea of questioning everything. And again, you, you end up just not knowing what to believe. Yeah. And there's a certain aspect, and I know it goes towards the Freemasons going back to building the Temple of Solomon and yada yada, but there are certain shapes that are natural. Like, I remember when I was a kid doodling on a piece of paper and I drew a swastika. I didn't know what a swastika was. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen one. Hmm. It was just one of those memories I had because I remember, like, I, I would used to try to, like, invent my own alphabets all the time. 
And I remember, you know, not that many years later, I realized what, you know, swastikas were. I'm like, oh, I used to draw those all the fucking time because they're really easy to draw. Like they're like a natural thing. Pyramids just simple geometric shape. Yeah. Pyramids are just, they feel nice to have a nice pyramid. And then, you know, where else are you going to stand on top to look at people? Boom. You've got an eye on top. There's a lot of this kind of natural, like you want to invent the things that are now, you know, symbols of the, the conspiracy, like the all seeing eye, Mm. which is freaky. It is on the back of the United States dollar. Weird as fuck. Yeah. It's weird, unusual things like that. It's like, well, Somebody at some point must have recognized that within that image, it does represent the position of government as being above everything, looking over it. It's not necessarily that it's sinister. That connotation just becomes attached to it by virtue of not wanting to feel like somebody's lording over you. But in reality, the, the purpose of government is to overwatch the entirety of society. So why does this symbol mean anything bad necessarily? It's just that, yeah, say you, you buy into this idea of what freedom is, and then suddenly, oh, somebody's looking over my shoulder. I'm not so free. Yeah, and it's certainly. I heard at one point, and this is might be another one of those things where I start quoting shit from QI again, which I found myself falling into that a lot. But um, that the uh, the the symbol on the back of the dollar, you know, the quote unquote all seeing eye with the blah blah blah. Um, the only person on the design committee that was a, a Freemason at that point was you know, whatever fuck guy it was, I don't even remember, one of the famous ones, Ben Franklin or somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't even in that meeting. Like, he didn't vote for that one. And apparently that wasn't the symbol for Freemasonry or any kind of ritual fraternal organization till after the dollar had been designed. Right. So it wasn't the ritual organizations that informed the dollar. It went the other way. Yeah, it's it's that, again, it's that wanting to buy into it because it's convenient to think yeah. it. I, I think um, just in terms of taking the concept and uh, looking elsewhere, um, I'm in the past I had an argument with a feminist where she was arguing that um, weapons of war are penis-shaped. And it, it was a really base argument. I couldn't believe it was coming out of her mouth. And I, I had to break it down for her. I was like, aerodynamics. You're telling me that a missile is the shape of a penis. There's a reason why it's a tube. It's aerodynamics. It's not because the guy designing it went, I want this thing to look like my dick. I want I want a giant version of my dick to rain terror down on other people. It's the fact that that's how they fly. And again, it's this aspect of like, well, government has its purpose. That's just what it is. You can try and attribute some other malice or intention to it, but that's just you. Yeah. And I mean, we do have parachutes, which is somewhat kind of woman shaped. So. It's not all, you know. Trains going into tunnels. Yeah. We didn't design the tunnel to look like a vagina in the train to be a penis. It's just the way it is. And the connotation is there because, well, that's where the human mind goes when we see some of these things. Yeah. that I've actually heard that one before that, you know, it's men's toys and they all have to look like... It's like but how else are they going to be shit? I mean, it's that's how it, you make shit fly. I mean, a plane is a dick with some wings thrown on the side, you know? And it's not, yeah, and it's not like you go, well, planes are obviously the, the, the mass conspiracy by birds to say they're superior than us. Like, you know, you know why no one says that? Cause it's fucking stupid. The same as saying that looks like dicks and therefore you're trying to, you know, uh, use your masculine whatever on it. No, it's just, that's, yeah, it's the way it moves through air efficiently. But you try having that argument with somebody, <laughs> the girl that I was telling that to really didn't want to hear that. Any kind of reason or logic applied to that circumstance was absolutely to be 
diminished, denigrated, and forgotten about quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, I got I got in an argument with a, with a group of feminists that I just had to give up and leave of them saying that men should make less than women uh, to equal things out. Yeah. Uh, oh like, god, an, that... an eye for an eye for an eye makes us all blind. I've I've had that yeah, argument it's... so many times. It's like really you want to keep the cycle going because I'll tell you what, there'll there'll be a generation of young men who resent all the women they grow up looking at if you do that. And if a grow a generation of young men grow up doing this, they've got the physical capacity to do something about it, unlike women. You might <laughs> see a shift towards a far, far harsher society if things go too far in the other direction. I wasn't going that far. I, I was just. Well, I, I, I look long down the road. I, I look at it. I was just more annoyed that you said you're for equality and your first idea is to make things unequal. Like, well, yeah. I mean, the, the point that I'm getting at is that you make it unequal on the other side, and the yeah. wheel just turns around again. Like, you're not changing the system; you're just changing who's on top for this short period of time. Yeah, and, and I can't help but think it would go the other way eventually. No, it's, it's very true, but that's what I mean. I was trying to explain. She goes, "Well, it's not fair." It's like, "Well, yeah, but the unfair already happened, so let's yeah. not do more unfair. Let's just go." Yeah, that sucks. Like you got fucked for a really long time. I'm sorry. Like if if I could have a time machine, I would probably try to convince the past about the equality of men and women. We don't have that, so let's do a nice little right now. Everything's equal. Move forward. You know, it's value nothing... the people that do believe the things you believe and forget about the rest of them. Don't spend your life railing against them pointlessly. Yeah. Well, especially, you know, yelling at the past is just, you know, oh, women have been, you know, uh, uh, you know, subjugated and like, yes, but that's that's then. So let's do things like we can't go back and, and reattach heads and, you know, pick up the ashes of, of some woman burnt at a stake and reassemble them with glue. It's it's done. It's over. Now it is 2014. Let us draw a nice little equal sign and say, you know, men and women, nice and equal, except for all that stuff we're not equal at because the entire idea of equality is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a, that's a long conversation we could have about that, and I think I'll steer away from it for now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't want to get yelled at. Uh, I'm I'm good. I, <laughs> you know, I've, I've no, I don't really care about anybody being better or worse or just everything everything's all cool everything's good just stop yelling at me for shit that happened when i wasn't alive i can't be held responsible you know at at some point if i ever pay a woman less than she uh deserves to make i will happily have you yell at me and i will be in the wrong but i haven't done that yet i've never owned a slave i i'm sorry i i didn't do anything my family showed up here in like fucking 14 something i we didn't do any of that shit you know we li <laughs> we lived around new york there were, we're we're you can yell at us for i don't know shitty skylines uh pollution you can get maybe uh, declaration of independence you can blame me for that yeah well, well actually you can same, yeah exactly the same attitude i look back at my family and it's like well, none of us profited from slavery, and we're, none of us have like real misogynistic past or anything like that. So all these things that people take issue with, uh, that's other people's problems. I, I don't need to justify anything to do with that. <laughs> yeah, and you were, you know, as long as you didn't move recently, you guys were on the right side of that last big war, so you got it. You're good. Yeah, no one gives anybody any credit for, you know, we did fucking kill the Nazis. I mean, maybe take off a couple of years of all that subjugation. Yeah. Well, that's it. I suppose it's treasure the people that are actually putting the effort into like being, I don't know, more equal in their attitudes or at least not wanting to put people beneath them all the time and forget about the rest or push them off to the side. I think um, it's getting a little bit kind of broader in terms of what we're talking about, but it's 
societal problem a lot of the way that people spend money tends to end up end up in the pockets of people that they disagree with societally or ethically ethically or morally yeah immediately those words come out of my mouth and i'm feeling like no no this is a subject that's like well we'll talk for another two hours and we ain't got time for that. yeah i no let's wrap up that thing and i do want to bring up this vr thing because we were talking about that and i never bring up shit like that on the show but quickly i saw this infographic that like my my tax dollars is I think it's 27 cents of every dollar goes to the military. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. I want a refund. Like I'm, I'm a pacifist. I don't, I fuck you. You're not fighting a good wars right now. I want my money back. Like I really felt this really disgusting, like ugh, layer of filth on me of like, really? Like it's, that's, that's a significant amount of every dollar is, is given to murder. Like, Oh fuck me. Like that's really gross. Uh, so yeah, no money goes to things you don't. Yeah, ugh. it's still yeah, kind of I, I, again absolutely empathise with that idea, especially having worked that that sensation of feeling a little dirty through association, having worked in banking back around when the prime mortgage crisis was happening. That that's what broke my mind to some extent. It brought on a horrible bout of depression because I felt like every day I was part of this machine that was making things worse, and everybody around me was shrugging, going, "Well, that's just the way it is, isn't it?" And I really didn't feel like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where you get that reminder of, well, I'm not quite as free as some people might think, because part of my money is immediately taken from me to go towards something I would never spend on in a million years. Yeah, something I'm like directly against. Was like, like banking, when that first started, like those Medici's and all those, you know, the back in the day guys, at least they used to sponsor good artists while they were fucking people. Hmm. Like at least maybe maybe Chase Manhattan Bank and or, or you know one of the big guys can just start you know hire me let me here I, we're gonna pay your rent Alex you write books for a living sponsored by Chase Manhattan you know Periphery by Chase Manhattan I would well, love it perfect you would <laughs> are you sure you wouldn't feel that dirtiness that that kind of sense of like mm, the money that I'm taking to write this book that that's probably from some tax scheme that somebody's wangled something in another state to have some factory workers paid lower and JP Morgan's the one that came along and did, did the litigation. So is part of the money I'm earning being taken out of the pockets of somebody doing another job elsewhere? Yeah. That'd you know, be on my mind. <laughs> what I say is JP Morgan, more like JP good morning boss. Cause I need to work. Welcome. <laughs> no, I, I probably would have a severe problem with that, but at least back then they had the, well, you did get the Sistine Chapel out of it. So there were some yeah. positives. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think maybe all those stadiums that have been sponsored by big banks in America, those those will be the landmarks of future generations. And they can look back and say, well, it was all part of the banking system back then. Oh, yeah, that's true. We got such great cultural heritage out of it as as football games and some basketball stuff. Wow, that'll Mm. echo through the ages. (laughs) Yes, wonderful distractions. So um, uh, speaking of distractions, segue. this oculus rift thing ah yes so my pet things at the moment uh yeah to find out what we wanted to talk about i basically just went through your twitter feed and went "Ooh, i haven't talked about that on the show Ooh, i haven't talked about that on the show um essentially so oculus rift as i understand it is just really advanced virtual reality helmet gaming thing Mm -hmm. and it was bought by facebook that's like the big annoyance that's what everybody's mad at yeah, that's the one that the internet's kind of thrown its toys out of the pram over. 
They've, uh, people are not happy because of the way that it was sold in the first place. It was um, one of these Kickstarter projects and it was very much sold on the idea that it was going to be open source, that it was not going to be affiliated with large companies that would restrict its usability or the way that the information was handled at all. And as such, a lot of people jumped all over it as being one of these kind of open internet, like the open internet and free flow of information. Like it, it's one of the things that will keep it preserved. This company's good. And then out of nowhere, after all these people have paid for the prototype and development of the concept, they sold it and they sold it to pretty much the biggest player going in terms of privacy, like sales and stuff, not treating people's information as uh, their own. So that's, that's where the outcry is drawn out of. And uh, I can't say that I was looking to buy it at any point. I, I've, I've got a kind of fascination with it insofar as the way that this kind of technology is going to affect society, because you can end up, I, I, I can see a future in which you're going to have people that are growing up at the moment who have the kind of Oculus technology as a standard, I, I could see that creating social schisms that are even greater than the current gaming um, problems that they have, where gamers online in particular are known to be a pissy, reactionary, knee-jerking, mostly racist, mostly like misogynist group. And that, I feel, is mostly a case of being separated from a, a great deal of other society and having a a subculture build up over time that's completely circular it's it's all self-referential everything within the conversations that go on in games journalism and within the people that are very much into it they all wrap around themselves to the point where they're blind to the world around them and the way that they act appearing to be fairly childish and what have you yeah it, of, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Please. no no please go ahead Part of the way that the um, Oculus Rift thing is being downplayed by Facebook in particular is by using that comparison of saying, look, this is just gamers getting in a in a hissy fit about nothing because, well, people just don't like Facebook. They don't like big data. And it's because they don't understand it. A, a lot of the PR talk surrounding this stuff since has very much been, oh, forget about what they're saying. This is going to be big. And they're in the wrong for thinking that they can manipulate it or have any influence over the way that the technology was going to be brought to the masses. It, it's a very interesting subject, I, I think, at least. So here's here's the I mean, I, I'm I'm interested in kind of the future of this as well. But on, on this level, what's the big fucking deal? Like, I mean, isn't it just Facebook will have the Oculus and then the other company will have the, the free form one like is well, it it's a good thing we've talked about conspiracy already because it kind of plays into that oh, okay <laughs> insofar as um do you know about the, the microsoft have their connect technology associated with the xbox which um it scans the room in front of you it can detect depth um it can perceive people it can recognize shapes and before the xbox one came out there was a big like furore online about the fact that the Kinect was going to be in the console and always on. And the issue that people took with this was that it would effectively become an ultimate spying tool. With the NSA stuff that's gone on, tapping into phone lines, internet connections, any form of electronic conversation seems to be um, compromised at this point. A lot of the reaction to it was, well, say I sit and I, maybe I'm in a country where weed's illegal and I sit and smoke a joint in front of my Xbox. Am I now going to have my information captured? Is the Xbox eventually going to be able to detect, like, right, this is smoke, this is whatever, these components that are in the room are here. 
and again, this is in conspiracy territory down the line, you have like a database somewhere back at Microsoft HQ sends up a little flag that says this person might be committing an illegal act in this country right now. Microsoft have a deal with some other company and, and intermediary, let's say, that perhaps works with law enforcement. They send the flag onto the law enforcement. Suddenly you've got a SWAT team at your door ready to knock you down because they've got some legitimate information from a piece of equipment that you've bought for yourself effectively. And when it comes to Oculus Rift, it, it's kind of an extension of that where people are worried, I think, that it's going to be able to monitor the way that you in, humans and especially the people, uh, gamers in particular, I suppose, how they interact with certain stimulus. So you could create an Oculus Rift game, let's say, where uh, it's it's a moral playground, for example. You've got a situation where there's a hostage and you can do anything you like. There's a woman being held by a man with a gun and you've got free range to do what you want. Now, somebody decides to themselves, I'm going to go and test this software to see what the makers have put into it. Like This is my attitude a lot of the time when I come to a game is, can I push the ideas of what they're putting out here to the point where I can see the cracks? Can I see where they've told me this is possible and it's not? So you've now got a very realistic scenario involving human emotion and what could be in real life a terrible situation but the gamer is approaching this with an attitude of let's see what i can do with it can i get the guy to take off his clothes can i get her to dance for me while crying because that's just amusing because oh damn the the guys that made this game actually put that in there fair enough uh, they've really gone to a great extent to make sure that it's very well developed and covers every base the people looking in from the outside on that the people that perhaps designed the game as a test, for example, is just, just an idea because there are, there have been in the past computer games designed with the explicit purpose of collecting user data for the, just to see what, how people interact with the concept and what have you. So you've got this rough moral situation where you've done something just to see if you could make it happen. And the person judging on the other end doesn't have the context for that. They've got user 8537 has just done this to using their avatar in this game, which we consider to be quite morally abhorrent. Like the purpose of the game in the minds of the designers would be solve the situation, save the hostage. You could have a situation where the designers look at that and go, oh my God, there's a sociopath playing our game. We need to, like, it, it, it's on us now. There's a certain moral impetus because we've given them the tools to play this out. Are we now harboring and fostering some kind of bizarre behavior? If we give him the tools to keep doing this, is it going to get worse? And as such, there's the possibility for a far greater restriction in terms of content and the possible societal fallout from being involved with this stuff. And when you have a company like Facebook, which again is not renowned for its privacy and the way that it deals with it, uh, its customer information, it becomes a little easier to buy into that idea, I think. And I, as much as it's not necessarily expressed, I think it's the fear that the information from the games that are designed for this peripheral that, that that information could be used for fairly negative results i i think that's the worry or at least part of it yeah it's it's it, if this was a few years ago i would have I, I would think the other way but there has been recently people getting arrested for things they've tweeted uh people mm -hmm. getting fired from their jobs and whatever for twitter content which for me i i'm I mean, I'm reasonably close to what I am in real life on Twitter. Like, I'm not going to, you know, there's not that huge of a difference. But I could see people putting, you know, having a much more of a character that they use. 
and them getting in trouble for that. Yeah, it's not, it's really not that big of a jump from things that are happening right now to the scenario you're describing, you know, some kind of, or even, not even like a game designed for that, just, you know, you're playing uh, the Grand Theft Auto or whatever. I know there's a bunch of weird, yeah. lascivious things you can do there where, you know, like, oh, look, this person's, you know, uh, obviously getting more excited while he's beating up the hooker. Well, look, you know, because you're assuming that there's going to be feedback at some point that as this progresses, you'll have, you know, sense your pulse and your your galvanic mm -hmm. skin reaction and you know they're gonna make it better and nintendo yeah. already have that they, oh, they have that a pulse uh -huh. reader that's uh, i don't think it's actually been released properly but they do have a patent and a completed prototype for a pulse reader which um they were saying it was going to be used for say you're playing a survival horror game or something like a resident evil perhaps there's a lull and the game knows because of your pulse that you're quite calm at this moment. That's when a hand comes through a window or a dog jumps through a door or something like that because the game has been designed oh, motherfucker. That's brilliant. to sort of play off of you. And it sounds like a really bad idea to my mind. Oh, I love I that idea. That's think, awesome. <laughs> oh, I, I can't help but think that that would create a situation where you would go into a game experience. I mean, I suppose if it sold you like that, then you know you're going in for like, right, okay, for the next hour when I play this game at any moment, I might get a jump. Whereas really, I, I wouldn't want to see that in most things, because how can you have a quality narrative if every two minutes, the way that you're interacting with it adjusts some of the story? Oh, Again, yeah. Oh, this could yeah, be yeah. something that down the line with the way that these games are being made, like certain things. Um, there's a company called Bioware and one, one of the upcoming podcasts that I've got, um, like that I'm editing right now, it deals with a lot of the games that they've made. All of them deal with moral choices, conversation paths, getting to the kind of heart of matters, dealing with ethics and morals and what have you. And I could see that being a lot more interesting in the future for some of these games, in, especially in terms of reactivity and being able to gauge, like, um, have you seen Her, the film Her? No. That's the one where what's-his-name falls in love with his house or something? Joaquin Phoenix yeah. has a new operating system, which is effectively a, a artificial intelligence. And it, it learns all about him and it says to him exactly what he wants to hear, basically. And watching that, I could see games going in a similar direction where a lot of the things that... Because, like, I guess you're on the, the very edge of knowing much about gaming culture and the people that are into it these days. Um but it seems like a lot of the interest at the moment, especially in terms of plot-related games, tends to be in reactivity at the moment and creating things that are going to elicit an emotional response and give a sense of progression that's player-driven as opposed to spoon-fed to the player. Okay, it's going yeah, to be yeah. interesting to see how this tech plays out. I, can, I, I, I don't know if I can come to a concise point on this necessarily. <laughs> I can certainly see that. My reaction of thinking that's an awesome idea is um, the games, not that I play, I never play video games for the most part, but the games I play are much more the go down that hallway killing zombies type of game. So mm -hmm. that game having the, you know, it still creep me out and I wouldn't play it for that reason. But if you're into video games and you have that pulse thingy and you're playing a game like that, which is mood oriented but not you know it's just you're, you're killing shit like uh from my generation of games like a resident evil or a you know something like mm -hmm. that perfect dark um i think that was the name of it but anyway that would be badass where your your game actually knows when you're gonna get the most spooked or like when you, you know kind of sense when you're not paying attention i could see that being fun but i certainly wouldn't fucking put it on for a second because that's creepy as hell yeah 
I, I could feel like because of my perspective as a gamer, I feel like I would come to that and after about half an hour of sitting and watching, testing kind of cause of cause and effect on it, where a lot of the time something that me and my brother do when it comes to playing games is we'll sit and we'll try and break it quite quickly. One of the things that he likes to have a laugh doing is starting a game and seeing how quickly he can find a game breaking bug so that he can then just we'll sit and laugh about it and he'll just pillory whatever game developer it has come out it's just a way of us killing time more than anything else but when it comes to that kind of like i i, I would sit there with the sensor on going like right okay i'm gonna make sure i'm really calm really really calm and now because i'm really calm i'm going to sit and expect something to come up now now because i'm sat expecting it am i going to have the jump if i never have the jump have i now just game to the game hmm. then that would become part of it part of the experience as a gamer interacting with that kind of thing it, it would certainly work for some I, I would say that yeah it's kind of i mean it yeah that's that's kind of the interesting it's when it's the combination thereof that's kind of and i'm saying kind of way too much because there's a certain aspect of it being pretty fucking cool that i'm kind of enamored with the idea i don't want to go near it but i you know i grew up in the generation of star trek the next generation you know i the mm. holodeck is something that Oh boy, do I want the holodeck! But and yep. this, you know, this is the thing I asked you about: is the what we're moving? It seems to be more along the lines of instead of the holodeck, we're getting, you know, uh, fat, sweaty people in suits in their, you know, in their living room, in, instead of you know walking around and it's you know full. It's almost like real life, but in a, yeah, you know, I think in, I think a lawnmower man type situation yeah, seems to be man's more what's on the horizon where. Um, development of haptic suits is is quite a big thing in the moment, and haptics is the use of sound to create a sensation of touch. Um, one of the big pieces of technology that's going to use it quite soon is for um, PCs. There's the uh, Steam service for PC games. Um, they're releasing their own sort of small console boxes soon to try and compete with the likes of Sony and Microsoft, and alongside that. There are um, Steam controllers coming out which have haptic sensors on the top of them where you can it, it can detect where your thumbs are and it works kind of like analog sticks, but they can actually send feedback back. So instead of having the whole pad vibrate where previously, like um, DualShock 2 for PlayStation, that kind of thing, the pads vibrate, you get a little bit of feedback, your guy got shot, you get the sensation and what have you. With this, it's going to be more like you're touching a porcelain thing on the screen like something porcelain is there the sensors on your thumbs will be able to convey a sense of smoothness that would be similar to that or you're touching wood grain and you can feel that haptic suits obviously take that for much much further where you've got full body sensation and i i could see it as i say go in the way of lawnmower man where you would be inside of a oh god what's the term for it it's a, one of those circular you ah words failing me <laughs> It's one of those kind of fairground attraction rides. The that they're circular, they spin around and everything, and you're meant to hold up to the side. But it it would be like a free motion version of that, where your input in the game or whatever, maybe virtual world, third life or whatever comes along to utilize this most powerfully, you're able to move, fly. The, the sensation of movement is provided by equipment that's around you as opposed to directly plugging in or anything like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it, it, it's going to be curious to see where it goes because I could see it being a very niche thing. It's something that could create its own industry given time. But as to whether or not it's going to really come about in a way that is, uh, I don't know, socially useful, that isn't going to create more niches for people to put themselves into and fall away from understanding the world around them. That, that's my main concern with that kind of thing. See, that's kind of where I see it going a little bit, because I I can kind of see that now, like being outside the gaming world and being outside a lot of like that side of tech world is I do very much feel like I mean, I was on the bleeding fucking edge of technology for most of my life. I've always had a, like a good computer from like well before people were popularly on the Internet. I was there like I've been on the edge and moved away because it just started to get too much part of my life. And I'm seeing the social interactions changing and the way that people's lives are different and i'm you know unfortunately sitting here like a old curmudgeon going i miss my friends they're all inside <laughs> doing inside things but that is going to be just exponentially worse if you know like i saw that um not to not to get too gross but i saw that essentially that jerk off machine that japan invented oh yes yeah well, <laughs> that was quite a device well hook that up to one of these modern gaming systems that you've got you know some nice haptic feedback going through your suit you got the big lawnmower man helmet on and you've got this thing hooked to your crotch. There's not a lot of reasons to leave the house for that type of person that, you know, the, yeah. the, the otaku is the word I'm thinking of in anime, you know, the just kind of obsessive yeah. smelly basement dweller. It's I could definitely yeah. see it going that way because I mean, things get more and more bespoke in that respect. I, it's funny that you mentioned the idea of that jerk-off machine and everything, because on, uh, on the upcoming podcast that I'm going to be putting out, we discussed the idea of biological flashlights, because there was a news story going around about, um, I think it was something that was being done for vaginal reconstruction surgery more than anything else, but as soon as I read it, it was like, scientists have grown a vagina in a lab. Okay, right, we're going to have bioorganic flashlights, they're going to live off the spunk that you chuck into them, and that's something else to stick into the uh, Oculus Rift nightmare machine that I've got slowly but surely constructing in my mind. Yeah, wow, that is... Uh, so, th yeah, yeah th these kinds of things, these outlets for a lot of basic human interaction, they seem. it seems to be that a lot of technology right now wants to separate us from each other and, and fill the gap. But I don't feel like it's going to be able to do it in any real way. I mean, um, her is a perfect example. Like the film, it deals with some of the idea of what what is it if everybody around us suddenly decides that well, the technology is more interesting than the guy next to me on the bus or whatever. Everybody's going to suffer for it, and not to spoil anything by giving any plot points or anything. But the the moral of the film is really get to know the people around you. And it feels like we're headed into this point where there's going to be a generation coming up that doesn't see any value in it because they'll have never had the example given to them. They'll have always had an easier option put on a plate for them. Yeah. But that's just me having the worst possible scenario in mind. I don't, I don't think it is because I've read stories about this and I know I'm a little bit older than you and I, forgive me if you're of this generation and don't forgive me because you're an asshole if you are, but that <laughs> young kids are actually checking their text while fucking. Mm. That this is a common thing in whatever age youthful is, but it's perfectly acceptable to text while you're mid-coitus. There was a picture that popped up on my Twitter feed not long ago of a woman taking a selfie while getting railed from behind. Yeah. And she had this expression on her face as if it was the most normal thing in the world. 
and my mind just boggled a little bit the the lack of intimacy and like the the mechanical nature of that interaction between those two people they might as well be robots they it, it what does it mean to do these things if you're just doing it because that's what we do but that's why i don't think you're looking at the worst case example it's mm. no that's it's happening like kids in high school right now are texting each other you know uh, you know in mid coitus it's that's it's already there and we're or it's not we're moving in direction moved past tense direction already mm. we're midway there the 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 navsat has already said we're you know we've got 12 more miles to go making the next left we're already taking selfies while fucking <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't. I kind of do and do want, do and don't want to categorize the people that are falling into that group as being the Call of Duty generation, because <laughs> it kind of sums things up nicely. Is there's the, the the reputation that Call of Duty players have. I, I don't know. Do you, do you necessarily have a connotation of what that what that means? If I say it, um, the one I have and. Only because of what you referenced earlier, I think I'm right. But I think that's the game that it's all 16-year-olds saying the N-word, right? Yeah, okay, that's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> and, I've, and I've heard of this, yeah. The, the circular sort of society that exists within that, it, it will just breed more and more of that. And it, it, yeah, it can get worse and worse to the point where I, I've had arguments with people. Because I take a certain amount of pleasure in confronting trolls especially when it comes to online gaming because a lot of the time it'll end up with somebody uh, just screaming fag or telling you that your mum's a whore or something like that some real basic rote simple insult and if i'm going to be insulted i want to see something a little stronger than that a little bit more thought out and specific and more often than not when confronted these people act like it's a game you're playing like it's a but we're meant to go back and forth you're meant to get angry i'm meant to get laugh more because you're getting angry and then you're meant to tell me that you're not angry and then i tell you that you are angry so i get even more pleasure out of the whole scenario because i think you're lying to save face and we go round and round in this and at the end of it i call you a douche you call me a fag and that's it and the number of times that if you step into the middle of that conversation and go, I'm not playing your game. In fact, I'm going to take you to task on that. And I'm going to make sure that everybody that's listening to this in this lobby hears what I'm saying. Quite quickly, people flounder, or at least the, the younger people that I've had to deal with in that respect, where they don't understand that you've got full capacity to drive a conversation in any direction you want. Online interaction does not have to begin with, you missed that shot, you're a fag. Yeah, and it, again, showing that that there's this other way of doing it because there's there's people not opening their mouths. It, it's one of those things. Like it, it kind of wraps nicely into what we've already talked about a little bit. Where if you don't open your mouth, if you see it all going on around you and nobody ever says a word, the next generation coming up gets the impression that that's completely normal. And as such, there are certain things that it feels like we just as people generally need to start opening their mouths and sort of quite quite clearly and concisely explaining why this is not useful for society more than anything else because a lot of the time argument tends to go into this solipsistic kind of well it's okay for me and i'm not hurting you directly so you can't tell me what to do S some of that seems like a bit of a cop-out in when you can look at the knock-on effects of certain types of behavior and as i say I, I see gaming as being one of these kind of niches where nobody says a word and it, it can only get worse yeah, it's a good place to study it. It's absolutely right. My, my, 
I'm not going to name him, but I have a friend that uh, is in the gaming community, uh, more my age, but certainly acts the age of the people we're talking about. And mm-hmm. I had, I mean, it took a while for him to like understand it, but I was trying to explain to him that it was hurting my feelings. I was like, dude, you're my friend. Like, why you like, I'm fine with ribbing each other cleverly because it's sparring. It's, it's mm. different. These are agreed upon rules that we're having fun with trying to joke. Like you're just being mean now. Like you're not like, you're just saying mean things to me to hurt my feelings. And his response is, uh, yeah, you know, shut up faggot or something He's like, but that's not, you're not being, what do you, what's how, and I literally felt like I'm, I have to explain what feelings are to a 30 year old. Like this is, this is a fucking, this is a dystopian nightmare. This shouldn't be happening. I don't think I think part of that part of the whole idea of not being able to recognize that you might be hurting feelings or anything is subduing them in oneself a, a lot of gamers tend to especially the ones that fall into it as like their main mainstay hobby and certainly their most active social outlet let's say they tend to be running away from normal society because at some point they've just not interacted with it well they've been stung by somebody and it becomes easier to get into this rote behavior. Oh, I've been accepted because I say fag like everybody else. Perfect. That's all I need. As long as I get that feeling of acceptance when I get involved, that's all I'm looking for. Never recognizing the fact that it's completely hollow. It doesn't, you call yourselves friends because you play the same game and you have the same attitude towards how to insult a person. Is that a friendship, really? I mean, it's, it's something, it's a crisis of sorts that I think that there's a generation coming up that, to a great extent, doesn't see it. They don't understand that there's there's other ways to interact. You can get along with a person for more than the, the reason that you like a game or something. And you should. It should be more than that. Well, they're a generation of robot fuckers. What can you expect from them? <laughs> I'm already starting to work on my... I was starting to work on my, uh, my kind of hatred towards them. I have to figure out the specific subgroups to start with the new racism. Like, ah, you, you Oculus Riftoid or I, I, look, I'm just spitballing here. That's not a great one, but <laughs> it's nothing to do with skin color or religion anymore. It's, this is how you spend your time. And I don't agree with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your, your, your fucking online avatar is not as well put together as, as I should expect for someone that spends this much time. Ah, I've insulted you, sir. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it- um, Sorry, yeah. Oh no! If you if you had something else, please continue. No, I, I was going to just make a quick reference to the idea of um, furries as being one of these online subsets of people that in the past simply could not have existed, but only now gets any kind of respect. Or like um, My Little Pony, the fandom sur- surrounding that has people defending it for some reason, yeah. in spite of the fact that this is grown men with no social skills spanking over toys. How confused are we at this point? <laughs> yeah. And it's, I just feel, I mean, one, you and I are both way too young to be this old. Like we're, oh, it's yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the generation gaps are, are two years at this point. Uh, it's, it's really hard to get your head around. Yeah. Even people my own age, I, I've been told by numerous people that I sound like a retired colonel when I talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to laugh about it. But at the same time, I, I do listen back to some of the things I say. And I'm like, fucking hell, I do sound like some slightly embittered old man who doesn't understand the world around him anymore. But I, I would hope that especially discussing this with you and having a certain amount of empathy with each other's perspective, that it, it's not the case that we've lost perspective. It's that we see things that are falling away from the world around us that we see value in. And it's impossible not to say something about that. You have to open your mouth. Otherwise, you're just party to it. You, you watch it fall away and shrug. 
and how depressing is that? <laughs> yeah, the one battle I keep up is, and this is something I will not give up, and I, I was going to say, but I'm not sorry to my friends. If I'm in the middle of a sentence, don't touch your fucking phone, dude. I, mm. oh my god, that infuriates me. You don't have that good of an attention span. I've known you for years. You can't read and talk to me at the same time. You picking up your phone is saying you're really boring. So I stop talking and then everything gets awkward and you don't restart the conversation. Why are we hanging out? What, what's the point yeah. of being, why are you texting while fucking? <laughs> yeah, social media and everything has, has strange effects on that. I've got a friend who on the regular will message me things online saying, oh, I've just done this. I've just done that. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? And we've got an arrangement to hang out during the week or something. And I kind of read all this thinking, you just destroyed three quarters of the conversation <laughs> we could have had by chucking sentences at me over social media. Why did you do that? Is it not more fun to be sat next to each other and have the actual conversation rather than you say, oh, I did this. And I go, oh, right. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the fun in this? Yeah, it's, I know that that one way, way too well. I try to, uh, there's certain oddness that i have with the show that uh, uh so the person i'm kind of you know seeing or whatever like online dating whatever you call it but um so she listens to my show and there's this really awkward thing where i almost feel like i've already blown my good material where it's you know if i'm gonna meet up with her what am i gonna talk about like you've already, you've got 150 something episodes of be saying really trying to be as interesting as i possibly can i've already blown it i've got nothing left so now it's for the love of God, don't tell me anything about yourself because I got nothing. The, the conversation is purely <laughs> on you now. <laughs> oh, no, I know that feeling. I can, I can only imagine that gets worse for people that do more and more popular podcasts. Like the, I think I've heard some of the um, desk or comedians talking about having people come up to them out of the blue and throw some real specific personal information at them that they'd forgotten they ever mentioned on a podcast. But it's one of those things where the audience gets to know you far better than you can ever know them in return. And yeah. It, yeah. In that case, that's, that's kind of a very unusual one. It's, it's kind of like you have to sit down and say, well, tell me, tell me about yourself. Cause you know, everything about me. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've gotten that quite a few times. Uh, the, the, what the, how the fuck did you know that? And, oh yeah, I forgot. I have a podcast that people listen to like, oh yeah, that's, why would I say that out loud? <laughs> you know, I had this uh, incredibly uncomfortable situation. Um, it tends to be being on the bus just causes weird things to happen in the, the very few people that know who I am. So one time I was on the bus and this girl was reading my book, like a row in front of me. And uh, I, of course, so what I did was tweet about it instead of do anything. But it was one of these, oh, this is awkward. What, do you say something? I mean, just awkward, but I didn't. But I was sitting next to a guy with a higher side chats shirt on. No way. <laughs> Which is a, sh I was just on that show, like three episodes. Actually, I think at that point, it may have been the episode before the current one. I'm just okay. sitting down next to him. And I kind of like, I didn't say anything, of course, because I'm a coward, but I didn't like, should I go, hey, you like that show? Uh, recognize <laughs> my voice. <laughs> it's, the, the, the awkwardness of some of the situations of, you know, certainly not like a hugely popular show, but enough that this has happened a couple of times of, yeah. Oh, it's, it's tremendously awkward. I, I can't even imagine it. I can't, I can't ever picture the day where that's likely to happen around these parts. I mean, there's, there's a couple of other, um, I've, I've got a couple of friends who do another podcast called Subdude and 
they're very local, but between the two of us, we've got almost no local listeners. So I can't imagine the day would ever come where I'd run into like, especially having two things like that happen where like there's somebody right in front of me reading what I make and there's somebody right next to me who enjoys something from somebody that I know. Yeah. Well, just to be clear, strange, there was like strange circumstances. like two months between the two, just to be clear. Oh, oh yeah, right, right. Sorry. So, no, <laughs> I just like... I just realized it may, I made it sound like that was the same bus trip. No, I, I, oh, more, right. sorry. It, I don't even think it's the same bus line, but no, these are two completely different things. I, I just, they were both equally uncomfortable and within seats of each other of the, I don't know what to do here. My, my thought was, I don't have, I mean, I don't have a ton of uh, local, I like, Portland is a, a hub for my listeners, but inexplicably, I think we've, I probably said this to you, but England is, for some reason, I have a shitload of people that listen to me out there. And mm. it occurred to me how, how odd it would be to be in England. Uh, Cause at some point I'd, you know, tell you, you know, the people who live there, like, Hey, I'm there, you know, if you want to meet up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it just occurred to me of the, the strangest of like, there, I mean, there's like, I know the names of probably like 15 people, like off the top of my head that listen in, in, in England. That's really fucking odd. Like and yeah. the the thought of that of, oh, I have, a, I mean, not a good chance, but I have a slight chance that I could run into a listener in a place I've never been. Very odd. Yeah, it's, it's a strange sign of the times being so connected to people around the world like that. I mean, yeah. I've, I've had extended conversations with people in China and they, they, that's a country that in the past, just even the idea of communicating with anybody within this Soviet nation was just, it wasn't going to happen. And here I was having this very casual conversation about drift racing with some Chinese girl. <laughs> it, it's a strange thing. And again, like I, I occasionally, I haven't seen it for a long time. We used to have it on the podcast stats where you could see little blips around the world to sort of tell where people are. I think if, if I paid a little bit more, I'd get that back. But I can remember looking and seeing like, I've got people like there, there's a blip in Indonesia. What the hell? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> does that mean that one day, if if ever I find out who this is, could I potentially like talk to them, find out a little bit more about their culture, get a, get a genuine appreciation for who they are? That, that's that, that's what I love about the potential for it all. Is uh, yeah, a conversation like this couldn't be happening without the internet. Yeah, it is certainly interesting. I still am having a really hard time that you're only seven hours ahead. We're like a there's an entire ocean and North America between us, and somehow this is only seven hours. Yeah. That's how is that? I, look, I let's face it. Geography is not my strong suit, but that still fucks me up. It's a, it's a strange one to try and get your head around. Just the idea of time zones and figuring out how this technology actually manages to connect us in a way where the conversation isn't like there's the tiniest delay. Like I can I can feel like we've got maybe like a quarter of a second delay or something because we've trodden on each other a tiny bit where we've been talking. But even so, that's so tiny compared to the distance. It it it's weird. It's mind boggling. Yeah, I do. Str I think on that note, I just I can't understand it. And you're right. The there's completely the delay. I have bad Skype timing already, and then throwing in that extra little microsecond, I just find myself doing the uh, and it's like fuck. Don't why'd you say that out loud? Like, don't respond. Don't respond. Just keep talking. Ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, it's slightly different from a. a face-to-face -face natural conversation where you can't just jump off of each other it has to be oh are you finishing your point have i got a silence moment to jump into here yeah and then there's the just yeah that strange it's just skype i don't know there's something about it i don't know if it's cell phones kind of do this too where it's almost like the other side doesn't fully turn off but it gets lowered when you're talking so you don't mm. know if there's a 
you know, you kind of get those kind of like hmms or you, you can kind of hear people listening. And it's just not that way uh, on this, which how fucking ridiculous is this? I'm talking to someone in goddamn England right now and complaining about a quarter second lag. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. It's, it's strange times that we live in. Like all this sci-fi things that I grew up reading about thinking I'll never see this stuff. This is the. Oh, nothing would make me happier if that just is connected right now. That uh, is called timing. That was I literally I I said out loud to what I knew was no one there. I will never I I just I don't forget I forget what it is. It's something along the lines of fuck. I forgot I'm recording and they're going to hear me and I'm going to misquote myself from four seconds before. But I will I couldn't be happier if we got disconnected while talking about the fucking magic of being able to do this. That's amazing. Uh... It was just the the internet connection that I'm on has got a two hour timer before I have to refresh it, and that was it timing out. But that was the most beautiful timing for it to cut. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of wonderful. Uh, though on this one, we should wrap up. Let me ask you one quick thing, and then I want you to tell me about uh, the name of your podcast and where people find it. But is is an American accent in uh, England? If you try to do it, is it just going nasal? Uh, depends on the type of American accent. I just I think I, for a lot, a lot of Americans will go for the New York Jew accent as their as their main stay American. Either that or the Southern Hick. Okay. It, it's kind of somewhere between there and maybe a little bit of California Valley Girl for some. Oh, so you guys? Those would those would be the three mainstays of like the typical go to American accents that people might have ready. So you don't go for like the kind of newscaster American. Um. <laughs> I, I can do that one. I, I can do a few voices myself, so I'm not really a very good example. But um, some would. Again, it's it, it's kind of down to whether or not they're that familiar with different aspects of American culture to the point where, I mean, you'll, you'll talk to some people over here and say American, and they have, like, there is a American standard in their head where, in reality, like I know well enough that state by state, you're looking at many countries almost in terms of culture. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, it differs. Well, I heard uh, I was I was watching QI uh, as as I do, and Alan tried to do what I think was an American accent. I don't know, but yeah, he did literally. It sounded like he was Bob Dylan. He just went, eh, "I'm from America," like in this. <laughs> it was weird, and I was like, "Is that?" Because usually I can tell when someone's. I mean, I don't. I've never heard a voice like that. Like I think I know sort of what I sound like, but American. It was really. <laughs> It was this really awkward noise. I was like, oh, God, is that what is that what our, the perception of our voice is? No, no, it, it doesn't sound like you're talking out of your nose to me. Yeah, that <laughs> was weird. Good. What What is your, now I'm curious, what's your What's your American uh, newscaster voice? Oh, God, now I've got to fucking embarrass myself by completely fouling this up. I'm not ready to do a voice. Um, yeah, you'll do fine. Oh, the nerve, performance anxiety just kicked in like a wall right there. That's I can, like you, you want me to embarrass myself with it. an English accent first? Would that make you more comfortable? Um, I don't know that that'll help. Okay. I'm not very good on that respect. Let yeah. me see. Right. Hi, I'm an American newscaster. That's actually pretty How's good. That? Not yeah. a bad American accent there. No, I, I, I'm going to introduce the sports. A little more Canadian, but that's pretty good. I would not have, I would not have said English if I heard that at all. I would have said Toronto, maybe. Yeah, I, I I try and practice this a little bit because I do engage with the idea of doing some sketches and stuff. Me and uh, a few of the other guys, the local podcasting guys, 
we've talked about doing some sketches so you might hear that from me at some point and me absolutely murdering a variety of different american accents but no that was pretty good that was that was damn good you sounded honestly you sounded like chris reddy from uh i don't know if you're friends with him on twitter oh um yes yes I know you're yeah about. yeah that was kind of yeah well done sir nothing to be embarrassed about on that one ah good good I'll, I'll, next time that i have to do it i'll push the performance anxiety down a little further and eventually i'll chip away at it till it doesn't happen <laughs> well that's a, i was trying to figure out an english accent and that's where my question of well not really a question but that's what i want to talk about accents at the beginning or talk about languages i can't figure it out because i can't figure out what english sounds like i mean i have a slightly accented kind of american english natural i have mm -hmm. a few little verbal things that are like sound a little east coast but pretty much this is what you would consider standard colloquial spoken english american english i can't figure out which one of you guys have that one like i think i mean you i've heard you talking about that you, you what you what i'm hearing from you that's kind of the english english that's the mm. i think i mentioned when i was on before that my accent doesn't really it doesn't really fall anywhere in the country because it's it's, it's almost something that I've had to construct to some extent. Oh, that's Growing right. You were the saying that. the country yeah. and uh, coming down to the south, I, I had to readjust and consciously be very aware of the tones I was creating and stuff. So that's that's probably why I can do voice now is that I, you have to develop an ear for it at some point, I think. And I, I get what you mean, like trying to trying to think of what the, the generic British accent is or English accent in particular. It's, I don't think there is one is the problem. And that, that's where you'd have to just sort of decide, right, am I, I'm going to learn how to do an Essex gangster style, which would be like a Jason Statham type accent. Like maybe pick an individual and try to Oh, that's, and that's like that the oi, you slag one. What, sorry? That, that's like the oi, you slag, that one. Yeah, you yeah. slag. Yeah, <laughs> slag. Okay, I got the A a little off. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, okay, so there is no standard one. That was my, I was trying to do, not for any, I just have a lot of time on my hands because I'm supposed to be doing other things and I'm broken. Uh, so I was just trying to figure out what the, <laughs> what the standard middle of the road is. But You and me both, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I can't justify sitting and doing American accents to myself just because I might potentially one day use it for something that won't go anywhere. Well, that's I, that's what I was doing, but the I couldn't figure it out. And I was trying to figure out what British, you know, um, newscaster voices, because I thought maybe I could at least work backwards from there to turn a newscaster voice into a normal person's voice, because at least their mm. accent is about neutral. And yeah, I couldn't find one. So I really just gave up and kind of was distracted. But speaking of which, how can my audience hear your accent, Beezer's accent and the other guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah my co don't really make much of an effort to make themselves known do they yeah, <laughs> um, jonathan yo yeah hey i got it all right uh yeah you can find us by searching for a podcast called old enough to know better and that's on itunes stitcher um and you can find us at libsyn which i believe is old enough to know better dot libsyn which is l-i-b-s-y-n dot com um, yeah, we've got a bunch of episodes up there. Stitcher, you can stream it. In fact, you're listening to a podcast right now if you're listening to me saying this, so I know you know how to get a podcast. I'll stop explaining that. Yeah, you would think that, but people people struggle. Um, <laughs> and you can follow me at, at Monkey Magic Eden on uh, Twitter. Oh, yeah, good the other guys, they don't really bother with it, so yeah. Yeah, at Monkey Magic Eden. That was good. I wanted to say that before. And one more language thing, just in closing, because I'm not sure if you were involved in this argument. 
Okay. If you guys still get pissed about this whole dropping the U from color, start spelling 40 with a fucking U. Because I'm tired of this shit. It annoys me that 40 is spelled F-O-R-T. It, <laughs> it bothers the hell out of me. And I figure, eh, I'm an American, it's fine, we can just drop that. But it's right, you still say it for. I want you guys to pick that U back up or shut up about the color thing. <laughs> that, that's a good point on 40, actually. I hadn't, that, that, that's one word I hadn't actually thought about in terms of justifying it. Because the way it's spelled kind of sounds like you're saying it's something a bit like a fort. Yeah, it's, it's 40. 40. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's in a tree, it's nails, not really put together, it's 40. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got no excuse for you. I'm, I'm going to cling to that, you, though. It, it's part of our heritage, goddammit. Yeah, that's no, fine. I no problem with it at all. <laughs> it just, I was, I literally misspelled 40 um, while typing. And I guess I knew it was spelled like that, but it's not often you actually have to spell with letters 40. It's not a thing you spell often. And I kind of stared at it. I'm like, really? There's no U there? That's really stupid. And I kind of flashed. I'm like, oh my God, I'm England. I'm doing that thing. <laughs> I kind of felt nice. I felt closer to you guys. One of us. One of <laughs> yes. us. Yes. Giba gaba, giba gaba. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. So I think we got all the good things. Well, thank yes, you. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, sir. Yes. A pleasure as always. Thank you very much for joining me. And I will see you on Twitter probably right now. <laughs>